We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This hour is brought to you by Cars for Kids. The Bernstein and Holmes Show. My argument for why I should be higher than Dan on the power rankings is because I have to deal with Dan. I'm really ahead of him. He never listens. It's not fair. He's holding me back. There should be an adjustment in points, like, for degree of difficulty. Yes, four, five, six is fine. It just should have been, like, inverted. I think Ray and Studs should also be on the list because they have to deal with it. Honorary mention at the bottom. <laughs> I'll take it. Everybody loves the idea of Bizarro score, by the way. The score is 683. That's some, somewhere. Multiverse. Stuff. Yeah. 83. Bizarro oh, I, score going I can on. do a lot of fun stuff with that. On the alternate broadcast, the Bizarro score, your grammar is terrible. My grammar is terrible, but the morning show always applauds me. He's like your exact opposite. So he's Bizarro Jerry. Bizarro Jerry? Yeah, like Bizarro Superman. Superman's exact opposite, who lives in the backwards Bizarro world. I mean, there's a multiverse where you're hosting the morning show. Am I really tired? Yes. Oh. Because that's what happened. I know. You say you're a little tired this morning. Is that right? I am tired. Bernstein and Hope. Middays 10 a.m. till 2 on Chicago Sports Radio. 670 The Score. It's a Layla Rahimi Wednesday on the Bernstein and Holmes show. She's in blue, he's in black, I'm in black and blue. We have uh, we have color-coded ourselves once again. And here we are on this Valentine's Day, a happy Valentine's Day. And what's the proper wish for a, 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 a peaceful Ash Wednesday? A solemn Ash Wednesday? I don't, I don't know the, the beginning may, of may Lent your, is happy. May your sacrifice be easy. May your sacrifice be easy. There you go. I meeting. don't know. I'm trying to ruminate on that, and I can't figure out anything. It's a somber holiday. Yeah, but may your sacrifice be easy for Lent. There you go. Mike Florio is going to join us at 11. Adam Hogue, 1125. High noon, 1140. Adam Rank of NFL Network and Bears Meatball at noon. And the Cubs are talking today, so we will hear from them as we broadcast live from the Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. Ray Diaz, Adam Studzinski, Brandon Fryer, Connor O'Donnell, Kevin Lapka doing their thangs. And I, I just didn't want to wake up to the headline that I did. Well, we got a, a preview of it yesterday with Steve Greenberg tweeting that his first interaction at Camelback Ranch or his first sighting at Camelback Ranch was Tony La Russa. Huh? Okay, great. And Tony La Russa's there wandering around being Tony La Russa, and his buddy gives him a job. Manager emeritus. Oh, maybe. 
Because here's the head, here's the headline. Maybe here's the headline in the Sun Times. White Sox manager Pedro Griffal wants more from Tony Larusa. Right, the manager emeritus, but or de facto current manager. Yeah. Tony Larusa has his own parking spot and a spot in manager Pedro Griffal's managerial heart. Happy Valentine's Day. Aww. I mean, is that really a question? And as They're expected, the same picture was already present at White Sox camp a day before pitchers and catchers report with a title of senior advisor, a Hall of Fame resume. I'm a Hall of Famer baseball person, and almost two full seasons of managing the Sox. Larusa's knowledge won't be wasted. Pedro Griffal said Tuesday. He's been great, Griffal said. I actually push him every day to give me more. He's got a wealth of knowledge, and it's not, it's not just knowledge. He's got a story for everything. What's with the boot licking? Well, hold on. Why don't we actually hear it? Maybe it sounds different when we hear it out of Pedro oh, Griffal's mouth. All right. I actually push him every day to give me more. Um, you know, he's got a wealth of knowledge. Um and it's not just knowledge. He's got a story for everything. You know, he's been around the game that long where he can give you some, share some wisdom and, and share a story, too, you know, behind the wisdom. So it's not just, you know, giving us knowledge or giving me knowledge. It's, it's giving me knowledge and an example, you know. So um, he's, been, he's been unbelievable for me. Um, and I'm glad he's here. And uh, I'm looking forward to spending, you know, spending some, some good time with him. More, more, more. Get you, get you, ya, ya, da, da. <laughs> that ain't it, man. What? No. Uh, not you. Not your version of Lady Marmalade, which is fabulous. But, you. but no. Lady LaRusso. <laughs> the worst just, visual of all time. <laughs> just no. No, he's at no. working what? nine what? to five. Just stop licking his ass. And, and I, I mean, don't. what are you doing? I'm not sure. Then, no, can't say that. Can't Come say on. That. This is not <laughs> no. how you do Ash Wednesday. You're like, oh, how do you wish people a happy Ash I Wednesday? Can't say that. Not with that. Just oh. go, go. Well, with, one another do with the other. Just go with the boots. That's just, fine. Okay, but you know, just stop. Why do you feel you have to do this? Why pay the fealty? Why are you paying fealty to so him? So you can move he's an, on. He's an old coot wandering around gibbering to himself. That's what those stories are. <laughs> Great. He'll lose 100 games. I, I would like to take this time to remind you that septuagenarians and octogenarians still make very important decisions for this country. So it doesn't really surprise me that that's what's going on at this business where you asked how many times a day who's running the White Sox. And then we're always like, hey, Dan, here are some answers, and they're not the way you want them. But, hey, Dan, here's another answer, and it's not the way you want it. But the other thing, too, is I feel like this is a – it's, it's something that, like, happens in a family. You're like, say hi to your great uncle. You <laughs> may not like, but he's here. We have to say hi to him. But the way it makes you look to your fans, to the players, that you're kowtowing to this guy still? They've been kowtowing to him the whole time. The entire time. He didn't, he didn't get fired. He lost his job because he decided to step away. He took a of leave of absence reasons. for health reasons. And but he's still the owner's best friend, and he's still clearly respected by the manager. I think that it's – I'm 
I'm almost completely there with you, Dan. I, I just think that it it's, doesn't make Pedro look like a strong manager to me. Right. It just it just makes him they look didn't... like a lackey. What? I'm sorry. He's not a strong manager. Mm -hmm. Might I remind you that he grossly underachieved with a very talented team and lost 100 games at the beginning of last season. 100 games was out of the realm of possibility given the talent on that team, and that still happened. I don't think that he's very good, and I think that he – I mean, I've said it before. I'm – look, everyone kind of knows where I sit on this, and this is exactly why I have divorced myself from all of it. This. This manager is known to be an ass kisser. He's known for it. He he's known to be a political climber. Yeah, that one I could say. He's, yeah, he's yeah. known to be a political climber, and he's no he knows how to stay employed. So he's staying employed by saying really nice things about the owner's best friend. From a strategic standpoint, it's better than the strategy that he employs as the manager of the White Sox. That should tell you everything you need to know about the White Sox. So if you think that if you can listen to him talk about a guy who played a significant role in destroying whatever momentum the White Sox had as a franchise, and he still holds that person up as someone that he needs to learn from and more, I, that's on you if you want to follow that. I personally don't. Now, to Layla's point, I do think that there, it, it, even with me saying that, I do think that there is value to having someone like Tony LaRussa around. Maybe not specifically Tony LaRussa, but I do think that there's value in people who have done the job before picking their brain. The problem is you don't have to do all of this stuff publicly. Nope. He can be your consigliere. He can be the guy that you, if you have a, a tough decision that you want to bounce off of him, but the way that Pedro Grafol has continued to talk about Tony Larusa would lead one to believe, even if they weren't here for the last year, that Tony Larusa is still pulling the strings of the White Bingo. Sox. Bingo! There are there are so many people who influence major league teams who who you don't even know. Who Professional are, teams. Sure. Let's just kick it out to all of sports. Who are who are old friends of owners and old friends of general managers? Say, hey, you know, by the way, this kid or that kid, and I had a kid just like this one time, and that happens all the time. But to continue, it's it's one thing if Steve Greenberg or a reporter spots Tony Larusa and gets a shot of him walking around. And, oh, there he is. It's another thing when the very first day of training camp, your manager spends all that time talking about how important this guy is. That's I totally agree with you. And I know people get hung up on it. It's, it's not just optics. It's not just external optics. It's internal. It's a player saying, who, for whom do I work? Who's in charge? Who's telling me what to do? If, you're, if, you're, if I'm not getting the at-bats, is that you, Skip? Or is that, is that old man drooling in your ear? Telling me not to give me telling you not to give me a bats. I'm sorry. Who's the general manager again? You think that he wasn't asked about Tony Larusa's role? The two guys who could check his authority got fired, right? Well, they couldn't. They would have wanted to. No, no. I'm going to say the two guys who were in that position to check his authority, and I think at least tried to at times, both got fired. Correct. And and two people are now there who 
were probably asked if they respect him or what, if they were okay with him still having a say in it. As a litmus test. And frankly, there are many teams that have the olds around. God willing, we'll all be at some point still old enough to work and be okay or do what we need to do at some certain age. If you stay prayed up. But. Stay prayed up. I, I don't know that my genes are my genes, man. I might be here for a good time, not a long time. But, like, Tommy Lasorda was around the Dodgers all the time. Nobody said anything, though, because you knew who was in charge. You knew who was making the decisions. Right. He was in charge of being Tommy Lasorda. Like, your organization should be strong enough to be able to have that person around, let them enjoy baseball and be besties with Jerry, and you should still be effective enough in your decision-making process. And, you know, one of those names that I would have mentioned in the Sox bullpen who I was optimistic about and Gregory Santos is no longer here. Like, that's a guy who you'd want to keep. Whatever. I think that might end up being a pretty good trade. Right, but that's my point. Like, there's there's so many questions about this team overall. But, you know, you've been looking for answers for a while on some of these things, and you got them. Like, your suspicions might have been correct. There's a reason we're talking about him as the lead, you know? If he wants to be front and center, and there might be a part of him that that wants to be that way because people did worry about his health. That is the last time a lot of people saw him. But we have every right to ask how much power this person has in this organization over decisions that are being made. And it's not about his age, by the way. Nobody's questioning Dusty Baker around here. It is about what we've seen on his resume with this particular group of players. I think that the Dusty Baker comp is a perfect one. And the reason why is that Dusty was very stubborn. He's a very stubborn guy, even when he was managing the Cubs. Very proud man. And considering what he's been through and what he's seen, I get it. He evolved. Got better. And he stayed in the game. That's the difference. LaRusse's absence, his decade-long absence from the game, made him worse at assessing the game. Where people His were- ego made him worse. Well, I mean, that that part of it, too. But, I mean, just being away from it, not managing in it, not understanding how the game itself was going to evolve, not being able to meet a new generation of players face-to-face, I think made him worse. And you add that with the, the cognitive slide that all of us have as we get older, and there you have a guy that's not qualified to be the manager. When they made the hire in 2020... The problem was is that you were hiring Tony LaRusse's resume and you weren't hiring the guy. Like, if you're looking at managers, like, the whole thing sounds insane. The idea of has he managed? Yes, but it's been 10 years. And sure, the game has completely changed and the way that we think about the game has totally changed. Then let's bring him in here. Why? Well, because he won a whole bunch of World Series and he's in the Hall of Fame. Cool. When was the last time he managed? 10 years ago, that that doesn't track. And you're right. There were people that m- maybe even if they couldn't check his power, they at least were able to go to Jerry and be like, are you sure? Because maybe not. Or the lineups, you know, just the availability of which players were in the lineups. We complain about front offices creating lineups when in this case, it was pick it was, your poison. The front office in try. I I know for a fact that the front office tried to have more power in that regard. That was the whole point of hiring Pedro Grafol, and yet here we sit.
they gave Tony Larusa printed materials before every, every series and every game. It was a stack that was ignored because he's mostly. Ignored. Of course, it was ignored. He intentionally walked two batters mid at bat. If that's not defiance over what should be happening, I don't like. To me, those decisions, like, think about how defiant he was with James Fegan when Liam Hendricks was stuck out there as a as a runner in an extra inning, and he says, well, I didn't know the rules. I, on what planet in baseball, and those who respect the game, are any of these things okay, where someone's ego is bigger than baseball? It's not okay. There's more stuff to do with the White Sox, and it has to do roster construction. Some questions that I have about it going into the season, so we'll continue this discussion. Bernstein, Holmes, Rahimi here on The Score. This is Maggie Gray with an Odyssey Sports Minute sponsored by Wrangler. Visit Wrangler.com for the best in denim. Wrangler for the ride of life. Another year, another crushing loss for Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. And you have to wonder how much scar tissue is starting to build. Losing on the biggest stage has upended other successful teams in the past. Andy Reid in Philadelphia, the Seahawks after losing a Super Bowl to the Patriots, the Buffalo Bills in the 90s, and that's just to name a few. Will Shanahan's 49ers become more battle-tested, or will they be worn out from these near misses? I'm Maggie Gray. What does it feel like to file with TaxLayer and get your guaranteed maximum refund? It feels like the last level of a video game, facing off against the final boss who stands between you and your refund. All your refund has belonged to me. Using the power of TaxLayer like a secret power-up he doesn't see coming. Only the most tax-confident can defeat me. Throwing your laptop at his video game face and watching him crumble into a giant pile of shiny coin tax refunds. Oh, not fair. You use TaxLayer. Start for free and get your guaranteed maximum refund. TaxLayer. File fearlessly. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2, on Sports Radio 670 The Score. So, so White Sox. My name is Cupid Valentino, the Martin Day Cupid, and I just want to say one thing. Happy Valentine's Day. Every day is the 14th. Say happy Valentine's Day. Today's the 14th. Can y'all dig that? Oh, I can dig that. When arrows don't penetrate, see. Cupid gets the pistol. Ah, yeah, now. Now look at here, he shoots straight for your heart. Now, and he, he won't miss you. you. But that's alright, y'all won't believe in me anyway, but... You won't believe in me, but you with fancy leprechauns or groundhogs No, thank you, Easter Bunny. And the best reason, the best reason for sticking with your marriage as long as you possibly can is not having to worry about Valentine's Day. You guys don't do a Valentine's Day thing? We have not for... Probably since we were dating. Although it did, it was we did have a Valentine's Day night 
when I realized that she would uh, that I would be able to marry her. Oh. We went out maybe 1996 Valentine's Day and we went out for fondue at Geha's Cafe. I don't even know if it's still there. I think it is. Really? Yeah. And we said, "Okay, let's do this fondue thing. Let's do that hockey." And we did the whole thing and with the bread and the cheese and the boiling oil and the meat and the seafood and then the chocolate. And we went back to my apartment and I threw up everywhere. Oh. All over the place. And, I mean, face in the basin. And at one point I looked up and she's like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm very much not okay. And I looked up and she starts laughing so hysterically. She's like, I could barely breathe. I'm like, what's so funny? What's so funny? And she's like, look in the mirror. And there was a huge piece of lobster hanging out of my nose. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> and and she, so she's laughing. I'm I'm basically in tears, just completely miserable. And the fact that she found that funny at that point, I'm like, okay, all right, that's that's a really good sign. So that that was that was our Valentine's Day memory. And since then, I don't really think we've done anything. We sent the kids. At their respective colleges, some packs of candy. I think it's uh, I think it just depends on if your relationship does it or not. For you, that's the case. Yeah, it's just we don't. We'll, we'll do what we want when we want. We don't need to be told by a calendar if we want to go have dinner, or be nice to each other, or give each other gifts. That warning from uh, the dude warning Del Curry really got to you, huh? <laughs> That's what all this sounds like. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right, right. They be blanking. You know about that warning. Yeah. They be blanking out here. Now, now see, here's like, the thing. Like, you better learn what you time of day you were pegging. born. That's something you can say. No, you you can't? can't? Yes, you can. I, I just stay I away from it all. I don't think you can. Okay. You can't say it like that. In that context, it's all about context. You can't. I'm right. not going to take advice from the guy that started the show today. By saying someone was in and someone else is in. Well, he was, and he is, and he needs to stop. Well, that's not going to happen. Good for them. Have, yeah, enjoy. <laughs> happy, happy, Valentine's happy Valentine's Day. Day. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> happy Valentine's Day. Let's put on a dancing oh. shoes. One of the things that Pedro Grifol said yesterday <laughs> that caught my attention was him saying that there are 14 or 15 different pitchers that they are looking at as possible starters. It's too many. Bobby Bowden said it best. If you got 15 pitchers, you ain't got five. I know that's not what he actually said, but you, you get my you, point. If you, got, if you got three quarterbacks, you ain't got one, yeah. something like that. If you, we... have, if you have 15 pitchers that are all trying to be starters, you ain't got five. If you told me that in the year of our Lord, 2024, stay prayed up, that I would have to figure out once again, Michael Kopech's role on this team, I would definitely throw something somewhere against a wall. In a year sort. where you're, you're not expected to do any, I'm not the biggest Kopech guy, but in a year where Who you're not is? expected to do anything, why wouldn't you have him start? I mean, He's still probably one of the best five out of the 15 that Pedro Grifol is talking you gotta about. you got to prove it now, damn it. Garrett Crochet? Like, how many hopes do we have here and goals? Dreams and nightmares is what we've got. No, that was successful ultimately. This is terrifying. Like, uh, are you going to open every game? Like, what's what's occurring here? You lost 100 games with expected talent. 
You lost 100 games with talent that should have won you 80 at least. So what are you going to do with this? Lose 100 games? More than likely, you're going to be losing between 95 and 102 I mean, games. They yep. intentionally lost 100 games. Like that, That's the part of this that I think can't be stressed enough. The th- what's funny is, is now I'm, I'm curious on how it plays out. Because you had the, that terrible losing streak that was going to be almost impossible to recover from. This year, is it just you're losing every series? Like, it, instead of it being a prolonged losing streak, is it just, oh, well, the White Sox went 1-3, they went 0-3, 0-3, 1-3, 1-4. Like, is that how it's going to work this year? What are you counting? Figuring something. Are you doing socks math? Please tell me you're not doing socks I'm, math. I'm, we I'm have not, months of this. I'm not doing socks math. Like, a Don't month worry. from now, Neither we'll still be spring are they, training. Are they still doing that on the broadcast this year? No, that was a Jason Benetti it was production, right? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it wasn't funny. Chris, you were fun in the Sox podcast this year. No uh, fun. So we're not going to get Camp the creepy could, people. Th- Chris Camp is awesome at Sox night. They can't do the people anymore that I didn't find creepy, by the way, because of the pitch clock. Hey, uh, Steve, and whatever your name is, uh, here's my Sox math video. Take all that funny out of the booth. I still love socks, man. Well, it's not. I gonna, might be the only one, but whatever. It's it's not. not there was nothing wrong with socks math. Socks math was great. Listen, the problem was the videos of people that were answering socks math. I'm sorry. Do you think we're the coolest? I have no. news for you. We are not the coolest. No, I do not think we're the coolest at all. And I've if been, I'm, been, if I'm starting an says, army, I need those guys. I, I need those people. X says no, and X gonna give it to you. That's what I heard. Someone told me that. Yeah! You seen that video of that, that young lady who is doing X gonna give it to you in the car with her dad? I haven't. It's very good. She is she like six. And she's like, X gonna give it to you. Like, look at X, you. X finds a way to complain about the Super Bowl halftime show. And I'll leave it at that. So I'm just trying to tell this guy. If you guys don't, he's been around for 20 years. 30. Yeah, 30 years. You're right. Usher Raymond has been around for 30 years. And still moving like a, a spry young man. That hip hop you hated is 20 years old from the Cash Money crew. 25. Right. Because remember, they were taking over in the year 99 and the 2000. Exactly. And I think for them, this is a pretty oh, good yeah. 20 start off. 24 is 25 years from 99. Yeah. You are correct, sir. Th- that's a pretty good quarter century run in their thousand year reign that Cash Money Records is, is out here having. Two live crew that you were complaining about was 35 years ago. At 45. Yeah. Yeah. When they started. No, 35. You're right. 35. Uh, We're so all old. I just, you know, want to suggest that maybe the people complaining on X about everything are probably complaining on X about everything for the same reason, uh, you know, certain people want to stay front and center in Arizona locales. And 20 years ago, two live crew was out here drinking with Jared Payton. And maybe your time has passed in some certain ways. Or you could just adjust. There was a baseball signing yesterday, but it wasn't a local baseball signing. And that fact is lamented by some and not by others. We'll discuss next on The Score.
Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Ooh. Oh boy, Jorge Soler. Whoa! Oh my goodness! Where did that one end up? A three run homer for Jorge Soler. 468 feet from home plate. I think Jorge Soler hit the longest homer that I ever saw at Wrigley, I believe. Not Glenn Allen Hill? I wasn't there for that. And I was there for some some long Sammy Sosa. I, I, I would have to look, but it was it was an astonishing, booming moonshot of a home not, run. Not Kyle Schwarber? Oh, yeah. I well, Schwarber no. had, Schwarber's uh, sexiness was the arc. You know the parabola, but there so was, was Noah's. Mm-hmm. But there was the the home run where he hit it and they couldn't get it. Dan's still trying to figure out how to say Happy Ash Wednesday. <laughs> Let's see. So I, I'm not unhappy that the Cubs didn't sign Jorge Soler. I am. You needed. I I understand that the first question is where is he going to play. And I know that maybe from watching too much White Sox baseball that I do have an affinity for first base slash DH people. However, they needed more power. And he made an easy decision walking away from Miami. I know he had that option for the extension for $9 million. He ends up getting $14 million a year for three, reportedly, for San Francisco. But it's also the fact that out of who's available, while Cody Bellinger is still twisting in the wind and you don't know what's happening with Matt Chapman and the Cubs still have needs offensively, big ones, you needed more than just your existing talent, and I'll say it as long as it's it's something that is coloring how we're viewing this team. I don't disagree with you there, but let me ask you he this. He was the 19th ranked free agent by Fangrass out of their top 50, man. Let me ask you this. In 10 seasons, believe it or not, we're that Jorge Soler has he has played 10 MLB seasons. What do you think his total war number is? Aggregate. Think about what his war is. Each of the, what do, you, what do you think his total war is after 10 major league seasons? 22. No, I'm going to say after 10, it's probably 15. 7.4. Last year, he had a 1.9 war, which is significant on this team's offensive situation. The, but the volatility of his seasons is the issue, is that he averages seven-tenths of a win. He averages a bad year. Look at the teams he was playing with. But it's the problem is he, he can hit. He's got a career 112 WRC+. plus. The slightest bit of protection in the lineup, you don't think he can produce more? I, he, but he cannot play any defensive position. He's the the way you get to that war number. He is forty point seven runs above average career offense, minus eighty five point six runs above average defense. The only way you can possibly play him is only full time DH, and hope he has a good year, and not one of his bad years. But the only way he's got value is take away his gloves, and let him try to hit bombs. Right, but guess what the Cubs need most? But they need more versatility than that, especially a team coached by this manager or managed by this manager where already you don't have a spot for Morell. And I think Morell can approximate 
a good Solaire year. I essentially think you already have Solaire in Morrell. But the problem is with Morrell and with Bellinger, that still wasn't enough. I agreed. I, I do think they need more offense, and I think there's more to come, whether it be a trade or a signing. I'm, I do think it's coming. Yeah, I mean, we're dangerously careening toward the you-need-Pete-Alonso-badly situation. But at the end of the day, defensively, you're already making a lot of concessions at third. So what's the drop-off there in in this situation where if you had Jorge Soler, would you put up with possibly putting Christopher Morel there? No. No, you can't play Morel at third. Not in the major leagues. You just can't. Why? It's too important. He's not good enough. And, and your infield defense. If I'd you're, asked you're, you're, if, if these two people were playing third base previously, Nick if it Madrigal was Madrigal plays and Patrick third Wisdom. Third base for the Cubs. Nick Madrigal and Patrick Wisdom is at least average or slightly below average defensively. Morell cannot play it. We don't have a file on Morell as a third they, baseman. We've seen it. I, where? I, where'd you see it? I, see, where'd you see it? I mean, he did where? take reps at third in winter ball. I, tell me where. Where'd you see it? I wasn't going to say what I saw. I was going to say what I have heard David Ross say and what I've heard David ev- Ross doesn't manage everybody the on the Cubs say. David Ross that, has Nick Madrigal playing third base. I'd rather have Nick Madrigal defending third base than Christopher Morell. Why? Because he's, Even though you know that Morell is probably a better athlete than Madrigal, Better right? athlete? Well, because he is a second baseman, but his footwork over there has been a total nightmare. So why can't he, why, why not, if you've never seen him play third base, why is it just assumed that he can't? Well, that, that everyone's lying. All the scouts and all the managers, everybody around there is lying. What, what scouts? So anybody Who? you talk to. Anybody, Who? anywhere you talk to in baseball who's been asked that question. We, how many people have we talked to? Anybody that we've interviewed. All I'm saying is that that you don't have visual evidence that he can't play it. And there hasn't been enough time of him playing third base for you to make any assumption that he can play it. Then send him down. They already did that. And then they brought him back up, remember? But not to play third. If you want to make a project out of it, that, that time to start that was the moment last year ended. I agree with you. I just... At the end of the day, the most glaring problem with this team was they didn't have enough offense. And that was with Cody Bellinger. And you have no idea what's happening. And to me, every day that passes is a day that the incumbent team loses a little bit more of a chance. I also think, too, depending on the nature of and, and the, the, the way they put a pitching staff together, and if there's going to be balls in play, you can't mess around with the, with the tight defense that you've had. You've got a gold glover in left. You've got gold glove at short. You've got gold glove at, at second, right? Well, then doesn't that mean, doesn't that, isn't that a mark in Bellinger's column? Oh, if you're not, I was talking about third base. I'm just saying I, want, I don't want third base to compromise all of the strides they've made defensively. It's too important. Well, right I, field, I, I, I unfortunately, made a gaffe, and you didn't have enough hits to withstand it. But, so that's yep. what I'm talking about. But my whole thing is, is that you're saying that third base is important and you're acquiescing to them putting an average to below average third baseman on the field. Dan's I, also don't, the I guy don't see an alternative. Dan's also the guy who says home runs matter the most. I want Morel DHing every day. As of right now. Every single day. Four at-bats a game. Because he's going to hit 30 home runs. Texter brings up an obviously interesting point. 
they developed Madrigal. What's stopping them from mm-hmm. trying to develop Morel? Yeah, they kind of developed Madrigal. They did develop Madrigal. He plays third base for them. Of course, yeah. the guy who's credited with that is no longer on this staff. Correct. Andy Green. And the one who the one who was saying he should be out there every day. He's gone. Well, he said he was a completely different player. No. Also. No, Andy Green was the one that said he should be out there every day. Right. It was Rossi. Rossi is the Rossi one that said he's a completely different player. Yeah. Looks like old Rossi's taking a gap year. I think that's a mistake by him, but Why? that's not for me to say. The Yankees well, bench job would have been a good job. Correct. Um, we need to take a break because we need to talk with Mike Florio. There's a lot of stuff, including someone may have gotten kicked out of the Super Bowl. There's some stuff with that because of where they were supposedly reportedly sitting. We'll talk about that next here on The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLV.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a man who's got a massive brain. Mike Florio. He used to be a lawyer, then he decided to take his talents to the internet. NBC Sports. I'm sorry I'm late. I was talking to Robert Kraft. That isn't the time for an airing of grievances. Pro football talk. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're going to hear about it. Mike Florio with Bernstein, Holmes, and Rahimi on Chicago Sports Radio. 670 The Score. The end of football season. Ha, ha, ha. It never ends. Mike Florio is on Twitter at Pro Football Talk. Creator and editor-in-chief of Pro Football Talk is with us on the Score Hotline. It is presented by Circa Sports Illinois. Download the Circa Sports app today. Twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 The Score. Hello, Mike. Hey, what's up? How are you? Mike, we are really, really good. From what you've been able to figure out, was there a reunion between Kanye West and Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl? I don't I don't know. Brandon Marshall, the former receiver, not the former linebacker, made an interesting claim, and Kanye West denies it. I think it's a great story, the idea that, if it's true, Kanye purchased seats right in front of the suite. Where Taylor's, I mean, it's just beautiful. It's brilliant. But apparently, it's been denied. And I know she's got a ton of power and influence. The idea that she could have gotten 
Kanye West actually kicked out of the seats he purchased and also out of the stadium. Probably even she doesn't have that kind of juice yet. It's just a funny visual when you think about it, the possibility that that even could have happened. And you flash back to the MTV awards from years and years ago. But it really just illustrates that this might have been the most famous and most Hollywood biggest event type of Super Bowl yet when it came to the corporation surrounding it, everything we discuss, the celebrity power. The football game was incredibly secondary. Yeah, and then it all happened for the first time ever in Las Vegas, just a few years after the NFL vowed to never do any business with Sin City. It's just amazing how it's all come together. But I agree. This feels like the highest profile, most impactful, beyond the boundaries of a football field, Super Bowl we've ever seen. And the numbers supported 123.4 million on average watched the game and over 200 million for the first time tuned in and watched at least some portion of it. And I still wonder if 200 million watched at least some portion of the game, what in the hell were the other 140 million people in the country doing? Yeah, that's always the the great question, right? It's like five out of six dentists recommend this. Well, what happened to the sixth <laughs> dentist? But it, it really was to me a, uh, I think it was the cap or the icing on the cake of what we've seen in the NFL when it comes to the event business and how they've really married events and sports. I feel like it started with the draft. We saw it clearly amp up with the Super Bowl. And and you see the combine now is, is something else that's being reinvented as more of a convention, as we've talked about. They are, I think, setting the trend when it comes to how they're showing off these, these events that we always took as our own as sports fans, but they're trying to get so many more people involved to make it a bigger deal. Well, and look, it's one thing to make the biggest events of the season even bigger, like they do with the Super Bowl. It's another thing to take these off-season, made-for-TV, show-about-nothing events and make them tentpole activities where we all gather and we all focus, and it's ultimately meaningless to winning football games, the draft, the combine. Now, free agency, that's another tentpole event that they've made into a thing. And I know it's all part of the building blocks to get your teams ready, but it's completely unrelated to the games. They know how to take the offseason and turn it into a thing. I mean, we're going to be in Indianapolis in two weeks. It starts moving quickly. Scouting combine, free agency, the draft, and offseason workouts, and it just goes and goes and goes. I was very pleased to see this uh, written up by Michael David Smith on your website today. I predicted this on Monday, and I was certain that this was going to happen, that Travis Kelsey called his actions definitely unacceptable. I can't get that fired up to the point where bumping coach and it's getting him off balance and stuff. He said if Reed had gone back at him, it would have been fair. He said, I deserve it. If he would have cold cocked me in the face, I would have just ate it. I would have been like, let's effing go. So that is probably the most Travis Kelsey way of saying I'm sorry. But I'm glad that he did, and I'm not surprised. Yeah, it was clearly over the line. And his brother Jason in that New Heights podcast episode was holding him accountable for it. You can't do it. To his credit, though. Andy Reid 
didn't get upset. He didn't cut off his nose to spite his face. He didn't park Travis Kelsey on the sideline for the rest of the game. Remember Super Bowl 52 and nobody understood why Malcolm Butler, the Patriots cornerback, wasn't playing in the game. He apparently did something he shouldn't have done. We still don't know what it was. But there are moments that are appropriate for punishment and for accountability. You don't take action against somebody in the Super Bowl in a way that prevents your opportunity to win another one. And when you consider what a shootout that Eagles-Patriots game was, you could argue if Malcolm Butler had played in that game, maybe the Patriots win. And maybe Tom Brady has eight now instead of seven. And maybe the Patriots have seven instead of six. So by looking the other way, by letting it slide off his back, by allowing Travis Kelsey to process his frustration and get refocused for the second half of the game, that was one of the reasons why the Chiefs ended up winning. Mike, in your opinion, how far ahead is the combination of Mahomes and Reed to other coach-quarterback combinations in the league? It's not even close. And for Mahomes, the greatness comes from how he plays in single elimination settings, how he plays when it's a clutch moment in a winner-go-home game, and how he has no qualms about grabbing the brass ring when it's right there. There have been some failures. He lost to Tom Brady in the 2018 AFC Championship under the old overtime rules because the Patriots won the toss and scored a touchdown, and that was that. He lost in Super Bowl 55 when he had poor blocking, when he had a toe that needed to be surgically repaired, and when Tom Brady, when given the opportunity to go up in the first half more than 10-3, to like the 49ers had this past weekend, Brady was up 21-6 at the half, and that was that for the Kansas City Chiefs. And then up 21-3 at the half, or close to the end of the half against the Bengals, they got cute and they blew another chance to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, they could be six for six in Super Bowl appearances. They could be six for six in Super Bowl wins. And this guy's only going to get better. And now they've got this mountain that they're two-thirds of the way to the top, first team ever to win three Super Bowls in a row. I think they're going to even be, be even better next year than they were this year. It's it's just all uh, so fun to think about when you consider how we all thought about them in the middle of the season. I also want to point out this. I still, a couple days later, can't get over the fact that for, for all the praise I gave a coach like Kyle Shanahan, for example, that the rules were this discussed. When in the NFL practices, they, they keep everybody from watching every tiny thing, and yet somehow the obvious was the gray area that might have bit them in the butt on this. What fascinates me is the difference between how the 49ers handled it and how the Chiefs handled it. Not just the standpoint of the 49ers decided we want the ball and the Chiefs decided we're going to kick. The Chiefs got the word out to the players. Hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give them the ball, and if they score a touchdown, we're going to drive down, and we're going to score a touchdown, and we're going to go for two. There's not going to be a sudden death. There's not going to be a third possession. That's what Kyle Shanahan claimed he wanted, and this was all predetermined by the analytics group within the 49ers. And this gets back to that whole issue of how much influence analytics personnel have with teams, and they have a lot. And I personally believe, even if he'll never admit this, even if he doesn't even realize it consciously, I think what Kyle Shanahan decided to do was run the risk of being criticized by us in the media and by others on the outside 
by going along with the analytics assessment and having it not work over defying the numbers that were crunched by the analytics crowd in the building and saying, we appreciate your effort, we appreciate your math, but I'm going to go ahead and kick here. I don't want Patrick Mahomes to have the ball second. I don't want to gift wrap for him a chance to go out and make his legend even stronger than it is. I think Kyle was concerned if he had gone against analytics and if it had failed, he'd have to worry about those folks chattering in the organization while Kyle's busting his butt to get ready for the next season, talking about him to Jed York, saying, well, I can't believe he didn't listen to us. We would have won the Super Bowl if he just listened to us. That's a very real dynamic in an organization. The coach worries about who's saying what to the owners. You don't want to give a, a big chunk of red meat to the analytics people to talk crap about you all offseason long. I think at some level that influenced him to go with what the analytics people said, even though I think you have to have a tweak in the formula for facing Patrick Mahomes. Any other quarterback, fine. When it's Patrick Mahomes, you don't want to give him that second possession after you've scored a field goal or a touchdown. I think it's even more simple, Mike. We are familiar with shortcuts here on coaching staffs in Chicago. And when you are not just the head coach, you are also the offensive coordinator. It seems like this might be a glaring example of when that might have bit you. Well, that's right, because there wasn't a whole lot of time spent talking to the team about it. There wasn't buy-in. That's the thing that impressed me about the Chiefs. You know, they have fun. They have players involved. Players suggest plays. Players know what's going on. So they have a neat plan for what's going to happen if we get to overtime in the Super Bowl. Here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to go for the win. We're not. We're, we, if we, get the, we want them to take the ball, and we want them to shoot their shot, and then we're going to go do whatever we have to do to win the game, and that's what we're going to do, and everybody's on board with it, and they're all fired up by it, and they're all kind of looking forward to the possibility. So when it came, all the Chiefs players knew exactly what was going to happen, and the 49ers players were in the dark because it's almost like Shanahan treated it like a need-to-know type thing. The players don't need to know until it's time to start overtime. Another story on your site today about the XFL kickoff rule and whether or not it would have the votes to pass among owners, competition committee, else uh, anybody else making that decision. I always am interested in this because I want to know what's keeping the kickoff in the game. It's clearly vestigial. It is Everybody knows we now have an opening touchback, essentially. They don't want it because of injury issues. Why... Are there still enough votes to keep the kickoff as is or keep it at all? They can't come up with something better. And the way that it was explained to me, I get the impression that the football people don't want the XFL kickoff, but others in the organization. There's a lot of non-football people that make football decisions. They're the ones pushing for the XFL kickoff because it makes the kickoff return relevant. Again, for the first time in 58 Super Bowls, there wasn't a single kickoff return in the entire game and into overtime, not one. So it is a waste of time. It is basically, you know, just put the ball in the 25. The only problem is what do you do about onside kicks? But the way it is now, onside kicks are rarely recovered anyway. So I think unless they come up with something better that makes the kickoff return relevant again, at some point we're going to see the ball get spotted on the 25, and then under certain circumstances, a team that would be trying an onside kick has to convert a fourth and 15 play to retain possession. And that creates a whole host of potential unintended consequences as well. But that's the only way to simulate the ability of a team that's trailing by multiple scores to make it a game late. Mike, what's up with Brandon Ayuk in the Niners? 
Well, he's entering his fifth-year option, and he had some comments yesterday about what he's expecting and what may play out. And if they don't want to pay him, he's going to want to go elsewhere, and the 49ers want to try to keep him around. Here's the issue as it relates to receivers now. There are so many very good receivers who are coming out in the draft every year. It's almost like the running back position was. However, there are certain receivers that I think are above and beyond the average replacement receiver, whatever analytics term you want to use to say, why do we want to pay $25 million a year to this guy? We can go out and draft somebody who dollar for dollar is a much better value on a rookie wage scale contract in round one, round two, round three, whatever. So who are the receivers that truly justify $30 million or more per year? Does Brandon Ayuk fall into that category? Or do the 49ers say, hey, Brandon, we're just going to move on? And the question becomes, will he play under his fifth-year option or will he demand a trade to a team that will pay him? I feel like it could go either way right now, and a lot of it depends upon whether or not the 49ers want to step up and pay him. But I don't get the impression they want to set market rates for Brandon Ayuk. Okay, Mike, I just want to know, what is your big story that you're following or what's the one that has the most intrigue to you at this time now that the Super Bowl is over? What intrigues you the most? Well, I really want to know what the Vikings are going to do with Kirk Cousins because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. They have nothing they can do to keep him from hitting the market short of re-signing him. And the window is wide open now to re-sign him. And I interviewed him last week at the Super Bowl along with K.J. Osborne. They're both going to be free agents. Had a chance to talk to him a little bit afterward. Met his wife, Julie. Had a chance to talk to her a little bit. And I don't know what the Vikings really want to do. But if they are going to just sit back and wait and see what someone else offers and then say, we'll match it, that's going to be too late. He could end up in Atlanta. He could end up maybe in Pittsburgh. He could end up deciding, you know what? I'm sorry. I know you're going to whip, are willing to pay me as much as another team will, but you should have done it sooner. I think the Vikings are making a mistake by letting this play out the way they are if they truly want to keep it. What are you hearing, if anything, about the Bears, the quarterbacks, the anything already stirring around the combine of who's being scouted, who's on the radar? Because this city is, <laughs> Mike, any little crumb, the tiniest, tiniest speck of anything that feels like new information has everyone ravenous. Well, yeah, there was the report over the weekend that the Bears would want some sort of a historic haul if they move out of the number one overall pick. Now, a lot of it depends upon what other spot in round one this year they would get. If it's a flip-flop one and two with the commanders, presumably it takes less on top of that than going down to eight, nine, or 10. The one wild card in all this is what does Caleb Williams want? If he's the presumed number one overall pick, and for now, that's where all signs are pointing. If you're going to trade up into that spot, you better be damn sure he wants to play for you. And if he decides to exert any leverage over this situation, you know, if he goes to a new team other than the Bears, if the Bears are going to trade that pick, does he really want to go to that team, having it give up all these picks that could help him have a competitive team around him? It gets back to something I said a couple of weeks ago. If Cliff Kingsbury's presence in Washington makes him want to go there, it doesn't necessarily have to be a trade. He can just make it clear to the Bears, I'm not going to sign with you. I'm not going to play for you. Go ahead and pick me. I'm not going to show up. I got enough money in the bank and I'll sit out. And then the Bears pivot to somebody else and the commanders get Caleb Williams without even having to trade for him. I think the things that might be happening behind the scenes 
that we might never know about, that's what's going to be fascinating moving forward. But do we know that, though, or is that pure speculation? Because everything that I hear is there is actually no hard evidence that he is at any point considering saying that to whoever would draft him. Well, the time hasn't come to say it. And what you want to ask yourself if you're Caleb Williams, how do you play this? Do you try to play it subtly? Or do you go public with it like Eli Manning did and John Elway did 20 years before him? You know, Robert Griffin III back in 2012 wanted nothing to do with the Colts. Now, the Colts had Andrew Luck, but they wanted to do their due diligence between Andrew Luck and RG3. RG3 said, you know, they invited him to go for a private visit to Indianapolis. He didn't go. He didn't want to go there. He wanted to go to Washington. And it worked out. Now, could he have, if he was motivated to change the Colts' mind, could he have convinced them to take him instead of Luck? I don't know. But there are ways that a quarterback can send messages without having to be the bad guy. That's the problem. The fans have yet to understand and accept the ability of players, certain players, not all of them, but some, one or two every year, to push back against this notion that it's an honor and a privilege to be drafted. I think there's a way to play it discreetly where you can scare the Bears off without having to embarrass them publicly. And again, that's something that would play out behind the scenes. And the first tangible evidence of it would be reports that, Hey, you know what? Now that the Bears are taking a closer look at the quarterbacks, they're smitten with Drake May or they're smitten with Jaden Daniels. And they decided Caleb Williams isn't the guy they thought he was going to be. I think that would be the first shred of evidence that they've been persuaded to back off from Caleb Williams. If the message to the Bears is, I don't want to go there. At, at this point, we don't know any of that. After we get to Indianapolis and go through the scouting combine, maybe we'll start to get some breadcrumbs we can piece together. Mike, thanks as always. We appreciate your time. Thanks. Have a great week. That is Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk. He's great. Not wanting to scare the Bears, but also not embarrass them publicly. Not only is the most sad thing to say, but it also might be an actual way to deal with, you know, actual Bears. Yes. <laughs> don't embarrass them publicly. I Look, was like, there's a, there's a lot there in that statement. I don't think that, that at least I agree with Dan that there's been no evidence thus far that this is how Caleb Williams feels. The Bears are under no obligation to serve him. And what I mean by that is I don't it, it doesn't make sense to pick a player that doesn't want to play for you, but you can take that number one pick and trade it to whomever you want. You don't have to trade it to where Caleb Williams wants to go. Let that be the next team's problem that wants the number one pick. Then let it go and move on and build your roster if that's the case. But there's nothing saying that that's the case right now. I know we're up against it, but I will give him credit because because he was brave enough to put what he wanted out there in some ways, we are talking about what he wants. And that's why it might be a shock to the system to some people to hear that because you don't always hear it. But we are all considering what he wants to in the discussion. Absolutely. But we shouldn't – Like, I don't want him to be damned – because of what's circulating around without it coming from him. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, he gets he has a part in this. We moved some things around today because of some guests' schedules. So next up, we're going to hear Bears president Kevin Warren. He has been granting interviews lately because that means he has poker to play. He has lobbying to do and things to say that we can try to scan and pick over for any deeper meaning. So we'll do that next on The Score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. 
Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. I believe it to be very true that the Bears would need historic, crazy compensation to come off one. That goes to show you how special they think Caleb Williams is. Now, I know they're not there yet. They're still trying to get to know him as a person. Lots that goes into this evaluation, but that is where it stands right now with the Bears and with Caleb Williams. If they're going to make a move, if they're going to give up on a quarterback that they believe can be a franchise quarterback, then it would take something special. And look, you never get the chance to draft number one. The fact that they got the chance to draft number one twice is just wild. Ian Rappaport on NFL Network talking about the Chicago Bears, which is what we are doing right now as well, because Kevin Warren was interviewed by our friend Jarrett Payton. It's really his NFL world. We all just live in it. On WGN, the first response that I thought was of note was Kevin Warren explaining why in the Bears stadium plans, why a fixed roof is their call and not a retractable one. Just from experience, uh, when we were building U.S. Bank Stadium uh, in Minneapolis, you know, we toured uh, every dome stadium. And one of the things that I heard uh, kind of over and over is that the majority of teams who have retractable roofs, they very rarely use them. It, it was a nice to have. And because I am budget conscious and want to make sure that we're prudent with our resources and our dollars, I think, you know, from a financial standpoint, uh, a retractable roof, it would be a nice to have. But I, I would rather make sure that we use those dollars uh, on the surrounding, you know, areas or for fan amenities that they would be able to enjoy it. But that's the main reason why. And I'm a big believer uh, in in the roof that we have in Minnesota, the ETFE, that they have a SoFi, you know, they have in Minnesota. Uh, I think it works well in, 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 our, in our, our climate in Chicago. And it makes it where the sun, you feel like you're sitting outside. So in order to do it, you know, you can't do a retractable roof with, with that ETFE. I was a little distracted by the music in the back. I don't want to talk about moving in. And I don't it was want very to melodic. your mind. Mm-hmm. It's that's a soft hit. That's I'd really love to see you tonight. Is that the 70s by or 80s? England, Dan, and John Ford Coley? <laughs> do I have that? I believe that's right. Was anyone asking for a retractable roof? I was, I, I me. Wasn't. Why? Because they're fun, and I like the outdoors here, and the weather when it's good here is the best. I was, and other stadiums have it, so I will say, yes, it was me. I was asking. But he's also got a very good point. Yes. Because he's right. I, I thought about this when it came to the rule, at least at NRG Stadium, that I always followed was uh, they say 85 degrees. If it's 85 degrees or below, the roof is open. But then you don't consider precipitation. You don't consider the cold like you do here. Mm-hmm. And he's right. Think about it. You only have, what, maximum, say they say the Bears go to the Super Bowl. How many home games are you looking at? You're not, so, you're not gaining nine, anything from a retractable right, roof. 10, really. 11, 12, maybe. So then out of those 12, how many do you really think that the roof would be open here? Three. Yeah, that's that's at most right, and and hopefully it's September, October, right? Yeah, November, you're already done. I mean, given our winter this year, maybe maybe all bets are off moving forward, as we know. But yeah, he but has you a still point. rather have the hard roof instead of the retractable one. It just even even in the south, you're not opening up the roof very often because of the heat. Yeah. So I've I said s- before, all football should be played in domes. 
I, but you know what? Actually, we were talking about this on the Sunday show with all of us, the Super Bowl show, where I feel like a lot of what we said came to light was how easy it was for kickers to kick at Allegiant. So you had fun watching them because they like kicking there. Set some records. Right. It, it's similar to a, uh, you know, it's similar to, to batters who like playing at certain ballparks that have domes because they can see better. They can see the ball. So I just wanted to throw that out there that it was me. And I also understand that he made a good point. So it's good to know that that's kind of in it, in in what his process is about the the stadium, and that's what he's here to do. Is he's supposed to get this stadium done? Where stadium ends up being is still moderately up for debate. You think? Yes, I do. I don't. I think that it's probably going to end up in Arlington Heights, but I wouldn't say that with a hundred percent assurity. Not a hundred percent, but it seems to me this whole effort is a long game to just make it as as budget-friendly as possible for Probably. the tax bill in Arlington Heights. Probably. That's what you would expect to be the case. That's usually how things work. But it's interesting to me that there's still the, that the best leverage that Kevin Warren has right now isn't other municipalities, pure, plural. It's Chicago. Let's see what you make of this then. Because Kevin Warren was also asked by Jared Payton what he thinks of Justin Fields. I know from my standpoint, and I, I come to the table, I'm a um, supporter of Justin, you know, because I got a chance to work with him when I was commissioner of the Big Ten Conference. He is incredibly talented. Uh, he is smart. Uh, he works hard. And uh, he wants to be a great NFL football player. Um, and, and so now he just needs to make sure that he has the support around him. He's working hard. And then I would love to see him, you know, this offseason, make sure he's totally healthy going into the season next year. Um, you know, this is a difficult game. And if, you, and if you think about professional sports, but let's talk about professional football, it's an incredibly difficult game. And then when you think about the quarterback position, it is, it, it is it's difficult. And so, um, and it's, you know, Justin has a rare combination of intelligence, of size, of strength and speed, you forget how big of a of a man he is until you're up on him. He's not a small man, and um, and so I just think every year he's going to continually get better. Um, and um, so I'm glad he's on the Chicago Bears. I'm sorry, <laughs> that song that's playing in the background. So I was right. It is it is England Dan and John Ford Coley, and I have the album cover. <laughs> Only is an absolute spitting image of Andy Reid <sighs> with a with long hair. <laughs> Sorry, but um, yes, I know Justin's the quarterback and everyone loves him and that's fine. And he's not going to tip a hand. He's not going to do anything that's going to make Ryan Poles' job more difficult or compromise any of the games that he's playing right now. I mean, he didn't say the quarterback, so that's good. He didn't say we will have a plan at quarterback. Well, he's the current quarterback of the Bears under contract. I think people also forget that he went to his graduation. Kevin Warren went to Justin Fields' graduation from Ohio State last year. I would say that that's a, a huge showing of support for somebody and, and going out of your way to make sure that they know that. It, it's going to be interesting. Justin has all of the soft scouting stuff. The leadership stuff, everyone loves him in the building, supportive teammates, like all of that. Mm -hmm. 
but there's still levels for him to go on the the tangibles. Not that he doesn't have them. He just hasn't shown them to most people's level of confidence. Like, well, I feel totally confident that Caleb Williams or Jaden Daniels is going to be better than than him or Drake May, whoever whoever it is that the Bears may draft at that at that position. You what they have to find out now is does Caleb Williams have the stuff that you know Justin has? Because to most on tape, they feel like there's more of the tangibles with Caleb that you can see, that you don't have to project out, that you can see that you haven't seen enough of with Justin Fields. Can I ask you a different question? And this is honestly with the, the the lively debate that we've had about what Kevin Warren is, what he isn't, what he purported to be, and what he may be. Why wouldn't he? I'm honestly asking this. I don't. This is not a rhetorical question. Asked about Justin Fields, as a Bears observer, as a fan, how would you feel if he said, "Ryan Poles makes our football decisions." At the moment, we are we, there's a lot that I'm working on beyond the the roster of this team, and we're entering into a critical off season. And I will defer to my my top football person on a question like that because we would question it like crazy. Uh, but, but we it, would go like we would go to DevCon. I'd say I don't too. know. Would we? I yes. I, see, I don't. I, I would because every time I hear somebody of authority defer like that, then I uh, I immediately think that something else is afoot. But it, it reinforces I, him as a little footbally though to choose to take that up. It also is him feeling confident enough in his role and perhaps confident enough in his general manager's role where he can give that opinion and it's okay. He was asked an honest question and answered it, I think, honestly, when it came to his opinion on his court, the quarterback who's, who's leading the team right now. Yeah, I think that it's – I would be fine with him saying that because I imagine that that's actually what's happening. I, I think that he has deputized his football guy to do the football stuff while he does the building stuff. But I would be I'd be okay with him saying, like, look, my the whole job is for me to run this entire organization. I feel great about the way that our general manager does his business. I have my opinion, and when I am asked by him, I share my opinion. But ultimately, when it comes to building the football team, I have a lot of trust in Ryan Poles, to, like that's See, I, I, I agree I'd be with okay you. With that. I would too, especially if he said Ryan Poles knows that he has control of the football operation. I am here to support him as he does everything possible to build a champion. Yep. I mean, I'm okay with both. I'm okay, okay with both. I just options. thought I'd, I just thought I'd ask I, it because we're still know, trying man. to figure out who does what and 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 what what Kevin Warren actually is. I could just see a lot of people saying when asked about the quarterback he deferred and that that the optics don't look great there. You don't lose anything by complimenting people, you know? Especially if you're in his role. I now when somebody asks what Scott Hagel's role is going to be in football decision making, that's what I want to hear Kevin Warren talk about. Hey, this is in the paper last year. This isn't news. Dan Weeder wrote a whole article about it. 
I think there are questions that could be asked of Kevin Warren that he is not interested in answering right now. A lot. That's the impression I get, that there's some very tight control that is going into these availabilities. There's a lot on the business side, though, that we could still have questions about. No doubt about it, including how the stadium is coming along. We've got high noon coming up. I had a reptile story loaded up for yesterday that's been supplanted by a different reptile story. I have a sad death that is connected to the fabric of the high noon segment. I had a cripe about commercials like an old man. Sounds good. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the Palace Saloon. Yeah, right. When? High noon? Welcome to High Noon on your Wednesday. It's a celebratory time when you know that your your work week has peaked and things get easier from here as you head toward a weekend without football. Aww. What do we talk about? Sox, Tony La Russa, Pedro Grafal still paying fealty to Tony La Russa for some reason. Layla lamented the fact that the Cubs didn't sign Jorge Soler. I'm cool with it. I don't really think he's that good. I think that Morell is probably the same or better. We talked to Mike Florio, and we played back some Kevin Warren. Um, this from CNN. William Bill Post, who helped create the Pop-Tarts, the pantry staple that reinvented breakfast for the masses, has died at the age of 96. Quote, We are deeply saddened to share the news that William Bill Post passed away over the weekend. Pop-Tarts owner, Kelanova, said in a statement, he played an important role in creating the iconic Pop-Tarts brand, and we are grateful to Bill for his legacy and lasting contributions to our company, close quote. There's a quote in here from Bill where he said, people who enjoy the non-frosted strawberry Pop-Tarts are serial killers. Close quote. <laughs> On behalf of serial killers, he never said. That. I refute that statement. He didn't say. That. Yeah, he did. The original non-frosted strawberry pop tart puts the emphasis on the filling. However, did you know that the the non-frosted have more calories? More I don't care. You know why? Because it is right and it is just. Mm. It's it's anti-American. It's actually not. Pretty much everything about the Pop-Tart is really American. Also, post of post cereals, the other cereal that I love being Grape Nuts. I said it. No, that's correct, Yar. That's that's out in 2024. I thought we were only doing misplaced, Yar. I think what I like to do is I like to throw in a correct one. Just Just to throw people off the scent? Not throw people, you. To throw you (laughs) off the scent. I clearly know how to use Yar, but you have to choose where to use it. So all I just it. heard you say is unfrosted Pop-Tarts are the way and frosted Pop-Tarts are superfluous and everything about what you just said is incorrect. I hate you. Okay, I, I just think we can do better as Americans. 
So if you're going to get a bunch of famous people together, it doesn't have to be a reference medley commercial. You could actually have them say new things. And the new things might be funny because they're really good actors. It doesn't all have to be one huge reference to stuff. All fan service. And I know that a lot of people liked the Paramount commercial, and I thought that the concept was strong. And I love Hey Arnold as much as the next person of my age, being a elderly millennial. However, I would just like to point out that putting all of the references together doesn't mean it's good. It just means you put all of the references together. So I know that I make a lot of references, and we all do, but... Sometimes people can be smarter than that. And you can make them do new things that are funny. And it's just maybe slightly off of what they were already doing. And then that's your starting point. Maybe you have a better written concept, for example. So not everything has to have creed. Most things don't have to have creed. Not even the Texas Rangers, who I think could have won the World Series without it. And that commercial certainly didn't have to have it. Yeah, that didn't is it was, over now? It just like it, it just it, assumed it just we were really dumb. I don't know. Probably not. We can't get away from it. Aren't they doing a cruise or something later this year? A Creed cruise? Where you're stuck on a boat with no escape route with Creed? That's where I'm going for vacation. And I bet they actually party. Well, we know No, you're not. Their guitarist, not. the Creed's lead guitarist, is now immensely successful as a Sinatra cover act. Like Atlantic City and elsewhere, he's got a gorgeous voice, and he's—I've I've watched YouTube videos of him. I've, I've, I forgot his name, but the, the shows how successful he is. The, but he's—he's he's really good, and he's worked with a backing band of people who played for Sinatra. Like he's absolutely legit as as a crooner. So you're telling me that talented people are just generally talented and can do other things than what you might find familiar and comfortable? Often, yes. Interesting concept. And one that should be embraced more. Yes, I like the Duncan commercial. I thought it was funny. I don't know. Dan, I got some bad news for you. We don't have time for your story. I don't have time story again? Tomorrow. And the reason why we don't have time for Dan's story is because we've got Cubs stuff. On the side. Fresh Cubs sound as they open up spring training. You're going to hear from the bosses. You're going to hear from Craig Council. And you're going to hear from Jed Hoyer. Don't go anywhere. We're going to bring that to you and react to it next here on The Score. (laughs) Come on. This hour is brought to you by Cars for Kids. (laughs) Jed Hoyer. How dare he? Come on! We know what you're up to, Jed, you sneaky sneakerson. Well, we really... Don't know what he's up to because it's time to go out there and cut some checks, man. He's you're, up to fooling us. You're a major market team. And I know you're waiting for prices to come down. Believe me, I'm the guy that buys about to expire meat and, and day-old baked goods. But I'm not a major market baseball team. You don't have to do that. You're you, not? No. You go, go go cut a check. If you have to overpay a little bit in a year that you're expected to be a contender to win the division and beyond... Get on with it. I said that about Jorge Soler like an hour ago, and you were against it. I'm just not a big fan of his game. Gosh. To me, it's the opposite, man. That guy produces no matter where he is. But he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't really produce. I don't know. Look at his numbers. I 
This guy, the guy's worth less than a win a year. Let's see about That's, that. He's average 0.74 war per year. That's bad. I just need some offense. All right. Well, why don't we listen back to what was... He's still 170 total home runs. I mean, he just I, earned I, himself $14 million a year over nine. That's five extra million, guys. Why aren't you using your other number when you talk about Solaire? I did. I used uh, WRC Plus as a career 112. Which would make him... 12% better than the average offensive player given the current run environment. Which 12% means, is statistically means, significant and would have helped the Cubs make the playoffs. Which means that he's better than a lot of offensive players, right? Your right, but, I, but, he's, but he's, he's a net positive offensively. Some years. I, that's total. Mark my words, people. This might go down as something you regret. Jed, All right. come on. Well, let's hear. Like most of the years he's been... At, no, look at each year. He's look, I'm looking at his OPS plus right now. 146, 99, 103, 35. Solaire is not Patrick Wisdom. Patrick Wisdom is not nearly as consistent. 99, 78, 131, 95, 128. Hate yeah. it here. So most years that he's played, the majority of years that he's played, he's been either average or above average offensively. But I ha- but he can't give him a glove and we have our, we have the DH. We're not talking about we're strictly talking about him as an offensive player. But the DH is in place. Right. That's why we're talking about him because he would There's no spot for him. There's no spot for him. So Whatever. You just said the judge should spend it. I agree yes, with you. Yes, but not a, they have no spot for Jorge Soler. They okay. have their they have a DH. Because you want Nick Madrigal at third. I don't want him there. But that's who's there. But they, they've got a guy who does what Solaire does, who's younger, less expensive, and might even be better. So let's hear what Jed Hoyer said as he welcomed everyone. Jed, as you get started here, um, you guys missed the playoffs by one game last year. What, like, what gives you the confidence that you guys can take that next step this year uh, to, to get into the playoffs? Yeah, you know, last year was exciting in so many ways. And I think that we... Did a lot of really good things, obviously, but you know we struggled in September and, and and fell a game short with a team that I feel like you know probably should have been in the postseason. And I think you know we've added some really good players this winter. I do think that uh, we have a lot of, of young players and 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 some young veteran players that I think have a chance to take take real steps forward. And I think that's the 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 most exciting thing for me is I feel like we have a deep roster and we have a deep roster of, of players that I think have that have a chance to continue to get better. And um, I think that gives me a lot of hope that that, that we can, um, you know, accomplish this year what, what we couldn't last year. Jim, you said at CubsCon that you were in like fourth or fifth inning of the offseason. How would you characterize where you are at a team building standpoint at this point? Yeah, you know, I think the closure is definitely warming up at this point, you know. Um, uh, there's a lot of good free agents out there. Certainly, it's been a really late, evolving offseason. And so, um, you know, every day we're in, in, in contact with different free agents, and we may well, you know, add one or more players to the, to the roster. But at this point, you know, as we sit down and, and think about it, I mean, it is February 14th. You know, it is day one of spring training, and we're trying to focus on the guys that are here. Uh, how do you balance that when, when you said it's day one of spring training, trying to focus on the guys that are here, but you also are negotiating with potentially guys that may you may add to the ball club? I mean, that's that's our job. You know, I think that. He's managing the team every day, and he's out there with the players. And um, yeah, sure, I'll go out there and uh, watch a few bullpens and things like that. But ultimately, our job is is you know more behind the scenes. You know, we'll, we know we're always talking to agents this time of year. There's always players still left on the market, so that's that's nothing new. 
Um, but again, I you know, I'm not out there every day with the players. I think our job is to talk to agents and, and to handle other things you know behind the scenes. Jed, not a ton of lefty options um, for you guys right now. As far as depth in the organization, are there guys that you foresee maybe being able to contribute when it comes to managing those matchups as the season starts? Um, yeah, well, I mean, we'll continue to um, both look at free agency and look look internally. Uh, are you talking about left-handed bats? Are you talking left-handed? Yeah, uh, okay. Um, yeah, and no, we were excited to bring in Michael Bush. Obviously, he had a really good year in the minors last year, and um, you know we're excited to bring his bat into the lineup. Um, we have some young players that, that certainly can can help, but you know that's something we, we talk about a lot internally that we are a pretty right-handed team, and um, those right-handed hitters are gonna have to hit right-hand pitching. Craig. I wonder as you get to know your players, like how much does it help that a lot of these guys were competing against you for so many years, like and had respect for how your Brewers teams play? Does that help you as you kind of get to know guys and begin this process with the new team? Yeah, I, th- I think it cuts both ways. Really, is like they they've seen me and I've seen them a lot too. So there's you know, I, I mean, I was just talking to Justin Steele about not understanding how we couldn't score against you. You know, I mean, like, the Brewers couldn't score against you, and, and I like that he's got the, the facial hair back, because then I'm just, I just, he was clean cut for his wedding, and I didn't like that, really. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so there's some familiarity from competing, for sure, and and that feels good. It really does. Um, and uh, it, it, and really, it it's, there's already a connection there because of that, um, and I like that, and it's a place for us to start uh, start a conversation. Carter, uh, how difficult has it been to navigate the Bellinger conversation to keep the lines open with you and Jed, and at the same time, you know, trying not to tip either way the media or the fan base as you negotiate with one of the most uh, accomplished agents in the game? Yeah, I think kind of as Jed alluded to, there's just so many things going on this time of year. You know, in addition to major league free agents, minor league free agents, player development, you know, scouting's getting up and running, international scouting's going hard. Like, we have plenty of things that are happening on a day-to-day basis. You know, each and every year, and you know, having other free agent negotiations going on is nothing new to us. So, it's kind of business as usual for, from that standpoint. And you know, Jed's obviously. Uh, one of the easier people to work with, at least obvious to me, and um, you know, definitely enjoy that and excited about getting into the spring. It's kind of a tightrope, though, isn't it, when you're trying to balance uh, things and not say the wrong thing or mislead people when you're talking about something that so seems so important to the fan base? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we don't necessarily feel like it's a tightrope as much as, you know, we're just telling the truth and trying to do our jobs and trying to win as many baseball games for the Cubs as possible, and if we do that, we're likely not going to uh, get ourselves in any trouble. So, Jed, what, what is the truth about uh, Bellinger and the pursuit? And, I mean, obviously you're going to be fully transparent here with us. And, I mean, and, and I've how said, hopeful are you that something might happen? Um, yeah, I've said you know, dozens of times, I think, at this point, you know, I have, no, I have nothing but admiration for him. You know, he, had a, he came in last year uh, coming off to, um, you know, struggle struggling poor seasons you know in LA and I think wanted that fresh start he came in here worked incredibly hard you know every day here with Dustin Kelly in the off season and you know it's um, you know it's gratifying to watch someone's hard work pay off you know um, obviously he had a great year last year um, he was a really good teammate um, so I you know like I said I have a ton of admiration for, for Cody and um, I've said that a ton what what where are things trying to bring him back 
I mean, like I said, we're talking to tons of different free agents right now, and um, we'll continue to to do that. Jen, just kind of off of that, you know, if, if this roster kind of is what it is and there aren't any more major additions over the next couple weeks, do you feel like the front office has given Craig a, a playoff caliber roster? How do you kind of look at the, the team as a whole right now and obviously what you guys want to accomplish this season? Yeah. I don't think we're ever going to feel, you know, complete. You know, I might... 20 plus years, I've never gotten to a place where I felt like uh, you just kind of turn it over to the manager and, and like you know went and played golf. And that's not how this, this thing works, you know. I think that we're always going to be looking for upgrades, um, both now and and all season long. And that's what that's that's our job. Um, yeah, I'm excited about where we are as an organization. Uh, I think that we have a lot of good young veteran players on the team. I think we have uh, a ton of young talent and. Um, I'm probably more excited for this spring than most springs is because we have so much young talent in camp and that's what's really you know fun in this job is watching those guys play watching those guys develop you know young players young talent that's that's where the game is right now that's the currency of, of baseball and um you know that's the part of our, the organization that gives me the uh, the most confidence and I'm, I'm excited to watch those guys every day this spring Craig, along those lines, talking about it, PCA in there he mentioned your experience in milwaukee kind of bringing some young players similar to him into that uh, team, how much are you looking for that challenge where the list of young players is going to keep getting longer that you have to kind of integrate it? Yeah, I mean, there's, look, it's a strength of the organization right now. And uh, there are, it, it is the best part of this camp, right? There's a number of young players, one that are like already here, but still have like growth. You, you know, they have growth as big leaguers left. And then there's a big group, and I, I put PCA in that group that are like, that these are these are important camps because of just their exposure to a bunch of major league players. They're kind of they're looking to make the next step, and our job is to help them take the next step. And it's it's a it's a messy generally it's usually a messy process a little bit, um, but it's really fun. Um, and in the end, you know you look back on players that. I think as coaches and as managers that you got to have from day one, and you're so proud of those guys, right? Because you take the journey, kind of that major league journey with them f for a long time. And, and that's, that's really rewarding and really exciting. And it is the game today. It, you have, we have to have those players um, so that we have so many of them, and this camp is a great place to start. Do you want to follow on? Megan, I'm begging. Um, <clears throat> just maybe a little rephrasing, but, but you said you never feel complete enough, but of course there are degrees of that. So if you're as as you are today, if that's the roster going in, have you had a good off season? Have you done enough? Yeah, I think we added. You know, I think we added some good players this off season, and I think that that natural um, maturity and growth of our young players will will add a lot as well. You know, I look back on you know where we were a year ago, and then some of the players that have have stepped forward, and now we're considering those guys established big leaguers like he mentioned Justin Steele you know a year ago I don't think we were talking about him in the same way and the hope is that we look back a year from now and you know there's five six of those guys that have now established themselves as as, as Cubs so like I said I'm excited about where things are right now and I'm excited to get going. Craig what's, what, what's your, your message on a new team new players what do you tell them uh, to start your spring training? Yeah I mean look I think there's no speech that changes the world right now. <laughs> That's a big misconception, I think, about sports. We should—they make movies about it, but <laughs> yeah. um, 
you know, it, it's really about us connecting as a group. That's that's what we're, our job is right now. Um, and our job is to kind of take care of the things you take care of the first 10 days. It's not to get too far ahead of ourselves. It's to take care of, so that's health. It's to take care of the, the small things we're doing with the, the, the kind of the fundamentals we're doing with pitchers over the next 10 days. Um, that's that's the job right now. Um, and as we, as we, you know, that's what, and that's what spring training is about right now. Um, as we get closer to the season and, and as we have interacted together um, and, and we kind of develop some relationships, that's when, that's when the real kind of team building, I think, starts. Eric, uh, in uh, preparing for college last year, what did you see of his adjustments and uh, what did you guys uh, do to try to combat uh, those adjustments? Uh, I don't. I. I don't know if I could tell you that. I don't really remember that honestly. I mean, he had he had a great season last year. Craig, in the, in the relationship building process, like, what do you want these guys above all to know about you as you start to work with them? Yeah, I mean, I think that you're just going to be direct with them. Um, that's number one, and then and then the number two is that um, that we're building. We want to be have something special here and the responsibility that goes along with being on a on a great team um you know we, we want everybody to take part in that and realize that it's um it's fun but it's also challenging one thing that we've heard from a couple of people is that you seem to have more of a focus on like individual work during spring training like what does that look like in terms of like structure wise um it's so it, it's just a camp thing. It's nothing you'll notice for a little while. Maybe until game start, you won't see any of it. But it's just it's just a little tweak on the structure of spring that that I I think is helpful for coaches and players. You know, look, we're it. We these guys, the players get evaluated so much through you know th- through statistics, through video, through tech. You know and. And so what, what I want to provide, like in spring, when, when the results, in the, the results don't matter, right? And we can, like, al- really allow teaching and coaching to go on, um, like, on an individual basis. We have access to so much space here and fields here. And so that's kind of the nature of that is just, like, one-on-one time for coaches and players or small groups with coaches and players. Season, but last year you guys had a bad start and had a great comeback, bad ending. Uh, how much will that play into this? It's a lot of the same players back. Can they use what happened last year as a as positive that they did get back in the race? And work? Yeah, I think there's a lot of positives from last year. I mean, we were 10 games under, and to fight to get 12, to 12 games over, I thought was super impressive. And I think that says a lot about the character of the, of the team, of the coaches. Um, I do feel like that sprint took a toll, um, and you know uh, when you're when you're winning like that every night, and then the toll that takes on the bullpen. I do think we had to play catch up, you know, too much, and so um, I think that's probably a lesson to, to take from it. You know, it's uh, it, it's hard to, to sprint like that for for three months, but um, they should be they should be proud of themselves and proud of what they of what they accomplished during that during that period, and obviously. Um, I think for all of us, there's a you know kind of a bitter taste in our mouth that we weren't able to complete that because I think that would have been a really special uh, playoff team having you know like I said been ten games under and, and making the playoffs. So uh, hopefully that that uh, bitterness kind of fueled everyone uh, a little bit this offseason. Greg, you, you never uh, you never look nervous. 
you always you know, boil over. You seem kind of like unruffled all the time. I mean, that, and, uh, is, that, is that how you are? Would you have been kind of in your wheelhouse last season as, you know, this stress mounted for what the way the cup schedule went? Is, is that the kind of thing you're really good at? And uh, do you have any, like here today, new job? Do you have anxiety? Do you have fear that we just don't see? Yeah, I mean... I think we all, yeah. We, I mean, I've told you we have it for sure. We all, we should, you should have some anxiety. Like if you're not, I think you're probably over it. If you don't have the anxiety, right? Like you're so. Um, of course, you have some of it, but it's the good. It, there's the good kind and the bad kind. So if, if that makes sense, and I think it's the good stuff. Um, I, I think I'm. I like being nervous in the dugout. Like I, I think like that's when you're locked in. If that makes sense, you know. Like there's there's a little. You should be on a on edge to get that's you need to be on edge to get locked in I think maybe that's how I do it I guess but I, I think that's how the right way to that's for me that's how it works for me so um, look any any you know you we if you're gonna be a playoff team you're gonna play really critical games in September every year you know and and so that's that's you know what's coming um, that's how a season works um, those games, those are going to be critical games, and that's how that's that's what we plan on. That's what we want to have happen this year. I really like Craig Council. I have to tell you, the four words right there that I circled over and over and over again: the results don't matter. Spring training games, he said. You will notice what we're doing with the work in the games when the games start. The results don't. Matter. How dare you and how dare he? Cactus League championships have been known to be precursors to excellent seasons. I just like the fact that he's not afraid to say it. Right there, first day, the results don't matter. The work matters. The growth matters. The, dare de- you. the development matters. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not sexy when you're trying to get your bearings straight and do like PFP, for example. Or if you were the Kansas City Chiefs at this time, perhaps you were doing playoff overtime install. Because we expect to be there. Right. And it might end up being something that we're supposed to do. I loved hearing him talk about council, talking about how the approach is going to be a little bit more individual-based. And I wrote down, Craig Council seems smart and sensible. Self-aware. He also noticed that when Jed Hoyer was asked, have you done enough, he didn't answer. He didn't, he, he didn't he is, say yes. He has not done enough. He didn't I'll say, answer it for him. Yeah. He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. He says he's excited about the roster he's put together, but he didn't answer the question. But there's still time, and I'm I'm still two weeks out from worrying. We've got more you Cubs are? sound. I told yeah, you, I March. Too. Yeah, March Man, 1st. I've been yeah. no, I'm, I, I agree with that. I, I think that we should go circle back to some Cubs stuff. A little bit later on in the show, some opinions about some specific players, some pitching-related stuff also that we're going to get to at 1 o'clock. But next up, back to football. Adam Rank, NFL Network fantasy analyst, host of the Sick Podcast with Adam Rank, has some some Bears thoughts he's going to share when we return on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2. On Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Justin has a rare combination of intelligence, of size, of strength, and speed. You forget how big of a, of a man he is until you're up on him. He's not a small man. 
And so I just think every year he's going to continually get better. Um, and um, so I'm glad he's on the Chicago Bears. That's Kevin Warren playing it straight down the middle when asked by Jared Payton about Justin Fields. Let's talk some Chicago Bears and some football with Adam Rank, NFL Network fantasy analyst and host of the Sick Podcast with Adam Rank on Twitter at Adam Rank. And with us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, CircaLasVegas.com. Also, Twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 The Score. Adam, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. My uh, my voice is a little shaky. I might have spent one or two nights at Circa in Las Vegas during the Super Bowl, but happy to be here and talk some uh, Chicago Bears. I've seen a lot of the stuff that you've been doing when it comes to Bear stuff. To to get you on the record here, the station of record in Chicago, the score, what do you think the Bears should do about their quarterback situation? Oh, if this is a what I would do, a should do kind of situation, I kind of would echo the sentiment that Kevin Warren is putting out there with having a quarterback who is growing in the NFL. And DJ Moore talked about it. He talked to everybody last week. And, you know, when I was talking to him, he w- we were talking about the growth that he showed and his ability to get better. And if you look at the situation the Bears are in right now, the Bears are looking for a historic call, which I think they'll be able to get, whether it's from Washington, New England, or another team that jumps up even further. Like if Atlanta wanted to come all the way up from, what is it, seven or eight, there would be a real opportunity to not only cement the future this season, uh, to go out there, still get in the mix for Roma Dunze or any of Malik neighbors or somebody like that, but also setting them up for future draft picks. And I think that's one of the things that Ryan Poles talked about when he took over as general manager of the Chicago Bears is that he wanted to fortify this team, build through the draft, and you do that by accumulating a bounty of picks and not only that, there's some, you know, there's some cap space that'll let you go out there and chase guys like Daniel Hunter or other players of like that. So if I'm if I'm the Bears and I'm putting my GM hat on, so to speak, I'm sticking with Justin Fields. We should note the bobbleheads that are behind your Ooh, right you. shoulder this, there. Thank I, you. Yeah. I think I see is that I can't see if that's a butler or a cutler. There's a there's there's a Rex Grossman. Yeah, there is that. Erlacher. Rex Grossman, Singletary, and then who's on the end? Who's next to Mike Singletary? That's a that's a Khalil Mack. Oh, it's a Khalil, Khalil Mack. Coming back. Mack. Coming back. Khalil Mack. I, listen, I still have love for Khalil Mack, and I still thought it was a good trade. Uh, the Bears, again, needed to go out there and accumulate some picks. And, hey, if we want to run it back, because I know the Chargers are going to be looking to uh, – What do you have, 17 him. sacks this past year? He's pretty good. Yeah, he was six in a was pretty game. good. It was pretty good. Yeah, he still got it. And uh, if he wanted to return to Chicago, I would not be morose in any stretch of the imagination. So uh, let's get, yeah, I know the Rex Grossman's hard to, yeah, that one's, no, that's, that's, that one's tough to think. No, I like that one. I, I think that that's, I, if you really want to show your bona fides as a Bears fan, <laughs> you got to have some down roster or some deep cuts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's, you know what? Yeah, you got to, like, I went to go see the Offspring on Saturday night. It's one thing to be singing along for self, self-esteem. But uh, there's some of the old school cuts like Session. When you can sing along with those songs, it shows that you've been there the whole time. So th- that's that's what my Rex Grossman's doing right there. One of my favorites is Get a Job. And Adam, I have to confess, it's my fault because I we follow each other on Twitter. So that's probably why uh, we were mentioned, Lawrence. So I apologize on behalf of the, it's, it's all the mutual following. Let's just keep going. I, I do want to <laughs> say this, though. I always catch your your... I don't know if it's eternal optimism. How would you describe your 
your undying happiness almost, or not happiness, but just there's something there that's more than optimism. It's more than happiness about your attitude when it comes to just your overall takes on the Bears. Is it delusion? I don't know what it is. I, I feel like you always want to put your best foot forward and you always want to believe in the best, you know, and it's maybe I've been watching too much Ted Lasso, or maybe it's because I coach, you know, youth sports, as you see right there, there's a, there's a championship team uh, behind me in that picture for anybody watching on Twitch. I always want to accentuate the positive and, and just really like living in the moment. I understand when, when you're a pessimistic fan, you can't be disappointed because you expected it. And I think for a lot of Chicago Bear fans, they they feel that way. Like everything sucks. We've never been good and all this. And that's fine. If that's the way that you want to live your life, that listen, I'm not going to tell you to do anything different. I just choose to be positive. And I try to I try to find the the rays of sunshine. And that's just the way that I, I want to approach it. And obviously it, it burns me time and time again. I was a little bit more guarded in week one this season, but still, you know, optimistic. And again, I think it comes to, you know, nothing lasts forever. And I think that this this run of the Bears is not go- the bad run of the Bears. It's not going to last forever. And I know that Why not? people look. Why well, can't you know it? <laughs> because they've made some improvements in the organization. And I really do believe that bringing in Kevin Warren, who obviously his main expert, uh, his main area of expertise is getting a stadium built. But that to me is a a big thing that it shows that the Bears and the McCaskey family realize we've got to join the rest of the NFL. Like we've got to modernize this team a little bit more. We need to have a new stadium. We need to have a, a domed stadium, at least at the very least, a retractable roof or something, because you want to be able to host Super Bowls. And I think if Chicago ever got into the mix where they were hosting Super Bowls, that would be one that would be in the rotation. They brought in an assistant general manager, which they had never done before. Kevin Warren has a football background. They are trying to do things in a new, positive way. They did not have a knee-jerk reaction by firing Matt Eberflus after two seasons. So you can look back at things that have been bad in the or the, the 90s or you know in recent years, but I do believe that Ryan Poles is making us a modern football organization and one that is going to be competing in the very near future. So again, if that's optimism, delusion, whatever it is, that's just the way that I'm going to be. Adam, if you don't mind, I'm going to get personal with you here. How old are you? It's too personal. I am. Uh, I'm north of forty. Let's just put it that way. Okay. The- I, listen. I'm listen. I'm negotiating a new contract with the NFL Network. I can't come off like an old man. Well, like I already do. Well, the only thing is that I wanted to ask. I just wanted to kind of figure out the realm before I asked ask this question. What's your favorite Bears memory, not retrospectively, that you actually remember? I mean, for me, it's Devin Hester's opening kickoff uh, in the Super Bowl. And I've talked about this plenty of times. My dad, the reason that I support the Chicago Bears, now I was born in the Chicagoland area, Chicagoland area, not the city of Chicago. I will not claim that that Schaumburg is part of, or Hoffman Estates, excuse me. Sean Vegas? Sean Vegas, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, but I grew up in Southern California, but my affinity for the Bears comes from my parents' who were, you know, lifelong Bears fans. My dad's from Sterling, Illinois. My mom's from Oswego. And so I, this is why I root for this team. And, and not to bring it down a little bit, but unfortunately my dad passed away before the Bears' second Super Bowl. He did get to see Super Bowl twenty and then all that good stuff. 
I I had a starter jacket, like from the 80s. My dad had this, he got like one of the authentic starter jackets. So it was the first time that I had worn it since he had passed. And we were actually in Las Vegas watching the game. And Devin Hester returns that kickoff uh, for a touchdown. There was a table of Takatis that got spilled on it. But no, it didn't matter. It was it was one of the most unbridled joy moments of my life. And uh, just uh, friends and texts and, and, and relatives just texting and everything that was going on. And then Peyton Manning, like a lot of people forget that Peyton Manning threw an interception. And I don't think that I had ever been more confident in a Bears victory in my life. I'm like, yeah, this is like, we got playoff Peyton. Uh, we've got the the Devin Hester return. Like, how would this team lose? And then it starts raining. And uh, old, old uh, you know, thimble hands, Grossman, uh, did, did what he did. And so, unfortunately, it didn't work out. But in that moment, if you're looking at one brief moment of time, uh, it would be right after Peyton Manning's interception. I mean, there was also the part where Jeff Saturday was just turning Tank Johnson sideways. Yeah. That, that... Jeff Saturday. I, I kind of don't care for him for that reason. Bear, how, how did your fantasy experience with this year's Bears team, this 7-10 and 10 Bears team, looking at the usage of skill position players, how did that inform your overall football opinion about next steps for them? Well, I think it really kind of cast a light on Luke Getze. And I don't know who the, who, who the problem is there. Because when you have a player like Darnell Mooney, he should be getting more targets. And that's one of the things that we study is opportunity and targets. And it's not unusual for a quarterback to go out there and really focus in on one receiver and really pepper him with targets. I really thought, like, God, we got to find ways to get Darnell Mooney involved. It would have been nice to figure out ways to get Tyler Scott involved because I thought he had an opportunity to start developing, like, a player like kind of like Amon Ross St. Brown in that kind of mold and that kind of build, you know? So for me, and thankfully, Cole Komet did catch on a little bit, and the run usage was kind of like, it, it's kind of difficult. And then in the, in the fantasy space, people love it because if you have DJ Moore, you're like, okay, like I want is I want him to get 20 targets a game. You want to have your quarterback have the run running touchdown option, you know, getting you the the floor of 40 rushing yards per game that you don't care because you don't care about Darnell Mooney or Cole Komet or the running backs like you would a, a fan of the team. So for the fantasy enthusiasts, it was pretty good about like, yeah, we got DJ Moore, we got Justin Fields, we don't have to worry about anybody. Oh, Cairo Santos. Uh maybe the Bears DST as well. But for the fans, it's like, we want to spread this out a little bit more. We want to be a more balanced attack and less predictable. I mean, like, it's not that it matters. DJ Moore catches everything, so it's not really that big of a deal. But we would want to get some of those complementary pieces going. And I think that when you look at what Shane Waldron was doing in Seattle, especially towards the end of the year, you know, getting the ball to, to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, and then Jackson Smith and Jigba started coming on at the end of the year. They got their tight ends involved. And I would say that Cole Komet is certainly better than guys like Will Disley. So I feel positive about him. So you wanted more, I, I think less screens and uh, more, more opportunities and more chances for guys other than DJ Moore. I think that's a good way of putting it because we've been talking about how the offense relied on, on a singular receiver and, and the secondary receivers were used in ways that we didn't understand. I also love that we're talking to you right after the Super Bowl because the NFL Network people are super connected. It is a huge gathering of knowledge and just what you hear and what you pick up. What have been some of your observations 
of what you've heard maybe in the in the national football ranks when talking about the Bears? Because I feel like that was the second biggest story outside of the Super 100%. Bowl last week. Absolutely. I mean, everybody, I you know, you go around Radio Row and you do all the interviews and everybody's asking about the elephant in the room, which is that number one pick. Which way are we going with the quarterback position? When you talk to the majority of fans, you do get the sense that because we're attached to Justin Fields, and I even talked about it a moment ago, there is the, you know, we want our guy. Like, we're backing up Justin Fields. It feels disrespectful to be talking about somebody else while Justin Fields is still on the team and everything like that. And if, you know, and if Justin Fields is traded, you know, we'll go through a small, you know, mourning process as you do when players leave. And we've witnessed this in other sports as well. So it's not, you know, when they broke up the Blackhawks and all that stuff. Like, you, you root for those guys, but you still wish they could have kept the band back together. But it proved to be, for the Blackhawks, it proved to be the right thing, which is why they, in any event, when, listen, I think, though, when you talk to people who are player personnel people and you get an opportunity to really like, hey, what's going on? And I know that that fans hate this because, like, you're just hiding behind sources. So I will blow up one of my guys who is a uh, well-known uh, person, Daniel Jeremiah, who's in the the pro personnel game and studies the draft and everything like that. He, along with numerous other people, Always go back to that conversation of, yeah, we love, we love resetting the quarterback club. And that's that's the thing. And we we don't know how Ryan Poles feels because I, I I don't know if he knows how he feels because Ryan Poles has never been deceptive. Like, have you ever gotten that sense? Like when he says he's gonna do something, like he he kind of does it. Yeah, he's pretty like, honest. He, and that's the the book on him is that it's hard for him to not tell the truth, which strangely enough didn't hamper him from getting a great deal done with Carolina. Yeah, you know what? And he was like, ah, I need to be blown away by the offer to get rid of this because they certainly could have, you know, picked, uh, they would have liked to have traded down, obviously, because uh, they had the Darnell Wright in mind as their player, but, you know, would have been happy probably to stay if nobody was going to be offering anything. So I, I think the same holds true right now that he would have to be blown away. And I think some team will eventually do that. I think what it comes down to is the meeting rooms and the opportunity to sit down with Caleb Williams, who to me is the only choice. Like Caleb Williams is the only choice to me. If you're gonna if you're gonna move away from Justin Fields, it's only Caleb Williams because when you look at Drake May and all the other quarterbacks that are you're like those guys come along every year. There is an athletic freak who comes along is like, oh, he checks all the buttons. Like stop it. Like there'll be one in 2025. Like well, there'll be three Drake Mays in 2020. It, it's not a big thing. Caleb Williams is different. Like when you watch him play. If you've been in his presence, if you've ever been to one of his games, you can see it. You're like, yeah, this guy's this guy's different from a lot of other college quarterbacks that I've ever seen. What's going to be important is how he responds to Ryan Poles. We saw last year with what Ryan Poles put Darnell right through, really tested him and tested his character and his mental fortitude and everything like that. I expect Caleb Williams to be grilled in a very similar fashion. So if he comes through that, there might come a time where Ryan Poles looks at that and says, you know what? Like, I don't think I'm taking a step back at the quarterback position. I'm going to be able to reset the proverbial quarterback clock. We still got pick number nine. I mean, I, I, that's the one thing is like, gosh, he could, he could do a, a couple of different things. If he, if he, if he ends up going with Caleb Williams, he can stick at nine and go with uh, Roma Dunze, uh, Malik neighbors, one of those players, maybe even get one of the offensive linemen or, if he wants to go crazy, 
and just follow the model of what Houston did last year, like trade back up, jump into the mix and uh, get Marvin Harrison Jr. That that would be the one thing that if you're a, a if you're on the Justin Fields should return side, that if we ended up with Caleb Williams and Marvin Williams, that would make me feel pretty good about like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like when I was a kid and I missed my friend's uh, birthday party because I had a reaction to antibiotics. You know, a couple of days later, my parents took me to Disneyland and you're like, ah, I forgot all about missing that party. Like that would be a similar type of sentiment. Adam, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate you jumping on with us. Thank you so much. Sorry, I, I probably spoke too long, but thank you. I appreciate uh, being on with you. Happy to have you. Oh, good. That is Adam Rank of NFL Network. Uh, when we come back, there is a tournament that's getting started. The Genesis Open Tiger Woods' tournament at Riviera, but the talk is still about last week. Everybody in the golf community, all the writers that I follow, are still talking about what a crap show that was in Phoenix. So I think we need to address that as the world of golf is doing so. Next on The Score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score. Every year, this tournament has huge crowds, and, and we, we're, we're, we will look to address any of these problems with the players, with the fans, with the Scottsdale police, with this, with the city of Scottsdale. We don't want to, you know, use uh, this. Uh, we don't want to lose the uh, uniqueness of the events. But there were some idiots out there, no question. You showed the one guy jumping in the trap. Uh, and and what you'll see next year is we will become even more aggressive with those third graders and, and uh, throw them out of the event. Well, you have to do more than that. That's Jim Fish, who is the director of the Waste Management Open. That's uh, whatever that was is not okay. It, it's it's blown right past uh, just harmless fun. Well, it's supposed to be the people's tournament, and it's it's felt like every year, like I would say, probably over the last six or seven years, that there's some one upsmanship that seems to be going on at the Phoenix Open. Literally, of, hold my beer. Yeah, there. I mean, you had yes. you had flashing. You had. Folks jumping into bunkers. You had folks using the bathroom. I was say on multiple chairs. multiple people losing control of their 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 bodily plum, functions. Their plumbing. Yeah. I have a question. As somebody who goes outside, I'm kind of surprised that people are this surprised by it. Because when I saw the headlines, I'm like, oh yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Think about the video we saw last year of everybody rushing in at the same time. You see that for Lollapalooza with the kids in the antique jerseys. Who have already buried their bottles of vodka in Grant Park. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so to me, that's the vibe they called for. Right. This they is, sell t-shirts. This is the life they have chosen. They were, they were leaning into the bro stuff. They're selling t-shirts like, I got hammered on the 16th hole. Like stuff like, like have, Bourbon Street. I have a lot of friends who now I just know. Like, you know how I always typically take the spring break off to go to Austin for South by Southwest? I'm like, oh, it's waste management. You're out of town. Like, that's... That's it. Like, it has become that scene. They know how to keep it together a little bit better. I think it's the escalation that's the problem. Where you had... They, they've been wanting... This is the branding that they put I, out there. I know, there. but I think that when you now have golfers who are like, that's enough. Like, most of the golfers that have been playful with the crowd and don't mind a little bit of cheering here and there, when they're like, this is uncomfortable now. When they have to have altercations with folks that are in the crowd, you've reached a, a, the thing that they have to worry about is, do folks want to play there? 
Well, my favorite golf writer is Eamon Lynch of Golf Week. And this was these were his thoughts. This is an excerpt of his thoughts. Giving free reign to jackasses doesn't end well. The social media era has spawned a disease in many sports in which a handful of spectators believe buying a ticket makes them part of the entertainment. Apparently convinced there's an audience dying to hear their slurred witticisms or watch them guzzle beer from a shoe. In most venues, that group is blessedly small. Not so at the Phoenix Open. To an extent, tour players need to suck it up and tune out oafs riding the rope lines while offering commentary. That's just part of being a professional athlete. The issue in Scottsdale is that the rope line is no longer the final frontier. Players won't and shouldn't tolerate people running onto the course to make snow angels in the bunkers or yelling during the hitting of a shot. The standard defense offered by these tournament's loyalists, you don't like it, stay home, is no longer fit for purpose. Only the stars can vote with their feet and walk. For everyone else, starts in the tour events are tougher to come by than ever. Staying home is a luxury they cannot afford. And if the Phoenix Open sees the quality of its field decline because of boorish fan behavior, that's a problem. If women working on site feel unsafe because of groups of leering drunks, that's a problem. If spectators are emboldened to go inside the ropes, that's a problem. When fans gleefully initiate and record conflict with competitors, that's a problem. Yep. I don't think any of that is in question. I just think at some point this was already happening and they ignored it. It's just gotten to the point where it's there's so many numbers and the numbers are high that this is what occurred. But this was it. This this was the time when it became clear critical that, mass that you have you've danced with this devil, and you've it's been all it's all fun and games and the hole in one and throwing water bottles and this was the year that it crossed. I mean, it's it's like they're trying to go for that music festival vibe with the country. Co- club crowd at some point you're you're not going to have it both ways well what they were doing is they were trying to kind of move away from the country club crowd but the the problem is is that everything became okay the 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 limits were were driven through and once you do that people you give people opportunity to show their ass they're going to do it so now they've done it they've got to figure out in scottsdale what they want this to be and how to get it back to it being more accessible than other tournaments, but not being a jackass festival. Well, and I mean, when I say like trying to marry those two elements, it's not really possible. Like you, you think you're getting like a higher level of, of customer or something, I guess is their, their thought as to how this would self police. But at the end of the day, people just don't behave that way. Like, it sounds like there were lulls in the tournament where there was a lot of alcohol being served. and They had some weather issues that forced yeah, was, people in, right. into more congested places. And, and frankly, I just, uh, I, it's like, what do you want to be here? And if that's the case, then you'd better hire some more babysitters for your kids because that's what, that's what that crowd has, has uh, part of it at least, has turned into. I looked at the numbers, by the way. They uh they tallied them up today, fifty four fans arrested, almost three hundred evicted. But here's the other thing: fifty four cons- arrests. Here's the other thing: six hundred and fifty three emergency calls. <laughs> that's that's a draw on resources. <laughs> yeah, too many people died last year. I mean, seriously. So- no, that's a draw on taxpayer resources. Yeah, and and 
and you're you're trending like if somebody were to die, somebody already fell out and, and hurt themselves badly. Like if you were to have a real tragedy, you're talking about all kinds of exposure with this having happened now. So I think they, they I'm sure their insurers are telling them to reel it in. That's where that's probably what happened. Because they didn't tell him last year, I guess. Maybe this is enough. Who knows? Or maybe their premiums are so sky high that they just got no choice. Next up, we've got more Cubs sound that came out of today's big public rollout of the 2024 Cubs. So we'll listen to it next on The Score. The Score! score! Hey, Chicago. <laughs> what do you say? Cubs gonna win today. If Shota Imanaga's control sequencing and pitch selection is as good as his comic timing and ability to read the rise and fall of a response in the room, he's gonna have a hell of a year. Well, let's hope so. They're gonna need it. What do the Cubs think as Jed Hoyer and I think Carter Hawkins is there as well. Yeah, he's the, just like hanging out like Jed used to like do. Jed the Oh, no, he had a bigger role. Yeah, he yeah. actually oh, did he? Spoke. He might have answered more questions in this presser <gasps> than Jed ever answered. He didn't get the Jed Hoyer potted plant award or just sort of being there and sitting there and, and Theo kind of laughing at him until Theo would say, I'm going to let Jed answer that one as a bit. So it was... <laughs> Jed Hoyer was new manager, Craig Council, and it was, I should say, president of baseball operations, Jed Hoyer, and general manager, Carter Hawkins, and new manager, Craig Council. And the Cubs brass further addressed Cubs pitching. Carter, uh, now that you guys have gotten eyes on Shota in camp, um, what's kind of been the first impression of him and um, how do you guys help him prepare for you know his first season here and and, and obviously the, the workload that comes with that? Yeah, I think we're definitely all struck by uh, just how outgoing he's been. Um, you know, I think you know, obviously there's different personalities and different people and kind of the juxtaposition of him versus Saya. It's, it's been interesting. He's he's definitely kind of been the life of the, of the clubhouse to some extent early on, and I think that'll be good for both Saya and Shota to to have that uh, that partnership, but. Um, you know, I think for us, it's it's really about trying to throttle him down a little bit uh, early in camp. You know, I think everyone comes into a new environment and wants to do a little bit more um, than everyone thinks that they're going to do. And for someone like Shota that we're going to have to have for 162, you know, games and, and more after that. And then for several years after that, making sure that, you know, we're not uh, doing anything right now that's going to hurt us in September or October. experiencing 60 plus, 70 plus outings for the first time last year. How important is a Hector Neres just to that group, a guy who's done it year after year and pitched in the postseason, just as a not, not only would he bring something out, but just that resource? Yeah, that's why we targeted him. I think um, the fact that <clears throat> he provides real leadership down there, I think, you know, all the um, references we got on him were that he does provide real leadership and stability in the, in the bullpen. Um, the fact that he's done it year after year, um, as you said, you know, pitching for, for seven months every year is, is really critical. Um, I think our bullpen, I think those guys learned a lot last season. Uh, for a lot of those guys, it was their first time through it. It was a hard run like we talked about. And um, 
So certainly we're all hopeful that adding near us helps that group, but also that they got the experience from, you know, uh, being pushed really hard and they can come back and sort of understand, you know, what the workload feels like a little bit more. Greg, a lot's been said about uh, how you handle a bullpen. Do you think it's it's been an overstatement or that you just, you know, you're saying handling all 26 men, not just a good at handling a bullpen uh, during uh, 162 games? Yeah, I mean, I, look, you're just you're making good, trying to make good decisions every single day. You know, certainly good players help you do that. Um, that good players help you make better decisions. Um, and at, at, at the end of the game, that's that's certainly true. Um, but it's you know we're we're trying to manage everything. We're trying to just, just talk to the pitchers about the game is 27 outs, and and we are connected and trying to get 27 outs together. And you guys all rely on each other, and that's that's how I treat it. I treat it like 27 outs. I treat it like we're all connected from the day before and from the next day. Um, and and you're putting that puzzle together to win a game and to keep them healthy. That's what you're trying to do every single day. Jed, you said going back to guys taking the next step, you hope a year from now five or six guys take that step like Steele. Who are you in particular really thinking can, you know, not to pinpoint, just make one or two, but who are you really focused on to believe they can make that step this year? Yeah, I don't want to single guys out because I'll wind up forgetting someone that's that's really important. But, um, you know, we have a lot of, a lot of guys that sort of haven't yet made that step to be you know, uh, established big leaguers, you know, like I'll add Nico to that group, like with Steele, like he's kind of made that step now where I think we, you kind of have a sense of what to expect from him. I think we have a number of guys that, that are trying to make that jump. And I think that that's, uh, like I said, that's, that, that's the fun part of this is watching those guys do that because, you know, that's how, you know, in my experience, the way teams overachieve and the way, the way teams have special seasons is by having guys, you know, do things they weren't, projected to do and you know I think that we have a number of guys in this camp that I think have the chance to exceed expectations make that step and I think that's how you end up you know you stacking those players on top of each other that's how you end up having a special season. Even though this is your first in the job and you know new players is there a comfort level just because you have seen these guys so many times over the years? Yeah I mean there is it, it really it really does feel comfortable I mean I one I spent time in the complex like in December and January, um, got to know a group of people then. Um, certainly, I've, I've spent time at Wrigley this winter. There's a big group of players that run through Wrigley all winter, uh, so got to know some of the core guys there. And then, yeah, this, I mean, this place feels familiar for sure, and, and because I've been pretty closely associated with, you know, because competing against them, it, it does feel familiar, and that does make it easier, no question about it. Every time we thought he since the season ended, he doesn't seem very worried about when his next opportunity is going to come at the big league level. Um, just what is like he, like he mentions wanting to bring Belly back, or he talks about Mike Talkman even potentially being there. What does that kind of tell you about who he is as a person outside of just a player on the field? Yeah, I think I've mentioned this. I, I sat down with him at the end of the season in, in Milwaukee. We were up there and we had a great conversation at the end of the season, and we talked about how. I think what happened when he came up, I think is going to be the best thing that ever happened in his career. I think that um, having some struggles, um, learning at the big league level, I think is something he needed. And I know he worked unbelievably hard this winter. Uh, he was here at the complex almost every day, hitting with Dustin Kelly, um, making some adjustments that he knows he needs to make. Um, I think he's in great mental space. He looks great physically. Uh, he's been working on his swing. 
And he's a good teammate. I think he wants the Cubs to win. Um, I think he knows he's a really good player. I think he knows he can help help us win baseball games. And he wants other people around here that can help us win games too. So um, the fact that he's so open about that, I think uh, says a lot about his character. And I'm super proud of what he did this winter. After a show to sign, I think he said something like it'd be unlikely to work the rotation. Is that still the case? Or like there's one or more additions? What would that look like? Yeah, I mean, like I said, we're still monitoring monitoring free agency, and I mean, I there's never a day that I'm going to feel like we have enough depth pitching wise. Like it can't happen, you know. You're always just going to want to, you know, bring in more and more arms and more and more guys to protect you. So, um, you know, could there be additional um, additions, whether it be on a major league contract or a minor league contract? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if it's going to happen, but like we can't ever stop looking because, like I said, you never feel as though you have enough arms to get through this marathon. You know what's to well, you don't know because I haven't said it yet, but what's interesting to me about any time that we talk about the Cubs, like the idea of players coming through Wrigley Field in the winter and knowing that they could actually do work at Wrigley Field, that for a long time wasn't the case when you would get to the clubhouse and they were they were dropping a, a ball off the roof of the clubhouse so they could get swings like I mean the the transformation that the Cubs as an organization have gone through over the last 12 years is really amazing because it really wasn't that long ago where it was like well, what are you going to Wrigley for not gonna be able to do anything i look i I remember being with the the little kids at bash academy right off of rockwell and belmont and you hear you you hear dink 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 and all of a sudden you hear you look over and it's anthony rizzo what is he doing here he has to be here because he doesn't have a place to hit at his own building come on i love that I love that they've got that now for them. Professional spaces. Yeah. I do think it is kind of cool, though, that, that you could be at a random batting cage and, you know, one of, one of the better major leaguers is uh, just mashing balls next to you. What do you think about any of the things that the front office had to say when it came to where they're at in free agency? Because the reference to, like, oh, the closers warming up, for example, as to – the length of the game in the free agency period for them. Do you care? Do you think it's just posturing? I think that this is where free agency is now. If you're a big fish in free agency, I think that you have an opportunity to kind of lengthen things out. I also think that there is some fatigue and the best players in the game are figuring it out now. I don't have to be, if, if I'm Cody Bellinger, I don't have to be at the facility every day. Nope. And I maybe don't need seven weeks to get ready for a season. Maybe I really only need four. So why, whatever my choice is, why make the choice quickly if I don't have to? If, if the money is going to be the 300, 300 million is the 300 million. And I know that for, for this particular offseason, I can give myself some extra time to spend with my family or just veg out before I go and get into the cycle 
that is baseball, the long marathon that is baseball. If you're giving yourself a couple of extra weeks to do that, I'm I am here to celebrate that. Especially pitchers. It's one thing to position players when you yeah. really look at, at pitchers, I I think actually do need the time. But they can if you're a starter, you need the six weeks to ramp up. And a lot of them do it on their own at these various academies where there's all kinds of professional and college players. There's a million catchers that you have there. And I would rather, I mean, I, I know that I'm, I'm sounding duplicitous in this, but I would rather have my pitchers working at the facility than yeah, well, at Bash. At least where you can keep an eye on them. Correct. And, and what their arm might be doing or not doing. But if you're, if you're a position player of no, or even like a, a veteran pitcher, you know, like, because what you don't want to have happen is what's happening with the Astros right now, which anyone could see coming. Justin Verlander's arm hurts. Of course it does. He's old. It's also the nature of baseball as an individual sport that masquerades as a team sport, where unlike hockey, basketball, football, where they work, we would hear Tom Brady's getting his receivers together to work, or Aaron Rodgers to work his special coach. You don't have to do that in baseball. It's a little bit of that. A little bit of that. Where, where do you, when I, when I give you the flip at second, where do you want it? Or, what language are you speaking when we're both going back for the same fly ball? PFP. Too. Sure. There's there's all kinds of there are moments, but for the most part, you can prepare your game like a golfer, and you are an, an individual player. Where these other sports, look, these this is the play we're running. You got to know small forward. You got to know power forward, and you got to know every permutation on this baseline out of bounds. And you set the so the the, the teamwork aspect allows a baseball player to show. You know what? I'll 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 get there when I get there. Everything will be fine. Uh, are we going to talk about this major breaking news? Yeah, we have I think to. We you have wanna, to. You want to know why? Because your man. <laughs> I, I wanted your him, man. Your man. I wanted him to be good. I really I wished him well, and it turns out he was impaired. At many of the important uh, no, 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 necessities. No, 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 not not that you man's your other man, your man's. Oh, that hey, okay. It, I, I think it all comes together. Your man's is next in the score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes middays ten to two on Sports Radio six seventy. The score. It's Station. I haven't heard any of that. I didn't hear all of it. I heard a lot about most of it, but what I did hear, I did not hear any of that. He's going to hear a lot more. It's a big day. Pitchers and catchers are reporting across Major League Baseball for the latest news on the Cubs or White Sox. Try listening to chapters from our show. Each topic we cover is broken out, so you can find what matters most to you to get started. Download the Odyssey app, then search for 670 The Score and tap on a recent episode of our show. Dr. Death is back. And who brought him back, Dan? Jim Harbaugh. Your man's. Do yep. you think that he has the toolbox now, that it is Jim Harbaugh's? Yes, I think that's why you do it. I think it's why like, you acquire a company that has a certain trademark. You acquire Mark Trestman because now Harbaugh has the toolbox of concepts, and he gets to grow the man. Huzzah! Grow the man. All I know is they have ankles. That's all I know. Uh, in searching for that. At our place, we're really trying to grow the man. Because we think growing the man helps our football team. He's not wrong there. He's like, at, I, no. I, I do like that he had a very altruistic view of football and that it was connected to more. It's just that 
his approach to selling that concept wasn't great. As long and as organized and thoughtfully created. As long as he's not leading a room, if he's just giving his thoughts like a Phil Snow. Or Tony LaRusa? No. Um, he has an actual title, Tressman. So does Tony LaRusa. Yes. I think I did. So. As long as, look, I, I'm, I'm not worried that he's somehow going to infect Jim Harbaugh's operation with nanites. He already has. That's how he got hired. That is interesting, Are you though. Me? Like, if I had had Jim Harbaugh hires Mark Tressman as one of his assistants, awesome. yeah, man. as the senior offensive assistant on I, my bingo card, I would be incredibly psychic. Whoop. Because I didn't think those two were that aligned. From from an offensive standpoint, I think they, they're probably closer than we imagine. Clearly. The thing, the thing about Tressman is that his ideas about offense aren't off the wall. He just wasn't good at being – he's a respected offensive that's, mind. That's what I'm saying. That as he, long as he's he, not really running anything. I mean, even if you were your – I mean, not you were going to make him your offensive coordinator. Like the, His problem was an inability to lead NFL players. To communicate with them, to have them understand what was in his head. There was always a disconnect. It was sort of the problem Mike Singletary always had, as it was explained to us, that – he that when when Brian Billick referred to speaking singletary ease that nobody else understood. I, I don't think that even after being as decorated of a player as Mike Singletary, there isn't anything in his resume as an assistant that rises to the level of what was in Tressman's resume as an assistant. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like Tressman came in as having done this, the job. This yeah. guy is an offensive guru. Singletary's more about vibes. You know, I'm the tough guy. I'm I played on the best defense ever. I'm here. I think he probably has more leadership ability than Tressman, but even still, it came out very clunky. Right. Right. And but there was a similar in failure to communicate, a similar disconnect. And Tressman just had no authority. None. No authority. And they, they, Brandon Marshall stepped all over him. Lance, That's okay. I'm not, I'm not trying to be smart. Lance stepped all over him. Lance was just trying to open a restaurant. Let that man open his restaurant. Even the kicker. Is the double nickel still open? I would bet not. That's a tough business. He's sore. Man. I mean, that's really where it's at. He's sore. Um, th- there hasn't been any indication of, of that. Sore, eh? Anyways, back to the question. Is Phil Emery still working? He was with Atlanta. Is he still there, or did he retire? Uh, I think he retired, actually. (laughs) The 847 says, to complete the Bernstein dream staff, all Jim Harbaugh has to do is now bring on Tim Beckman. Uh, Oski. Yeah, Phil retired in May of last year. Okay. So it's now it's Ryan Pace's team to run. Which is, that... That can't be the only reason people are making the Falcons connection. And Justin Fields home as well. Like there's there's well, gotta be the reason that people were making the connection initially is because it's where he's from and right. and because of Arthur Smith. Mm. That Arthur Smith seemed like the type of coach that might be able to get the most out of him, which is now the reason why people are making the connection with Fields to Pittsburgh. 
because Arthur Smith is the offensive coordinator there. Dan and I were talking about it earlier in this week. The thing that's really interesting about that, though, is that Arthur Smith, his offense works primarily under center. And Justin has spent a majority of his time playing out of the pistol or out of the shotgun. Now, I have a working theory that because we're seeing so many bad snaps all over football, then maybe we'll see some offenses go back to a little bit more of under center. And how hard is it for a player like Fields, who's done primarily, he's done some stuff under center, but primarily has worked out of pistol or gun, how hard or easy is it to learn an offense when during play action, you're turning your back to the defense. We should note, too, that that's not the only former Bear coach on Jim Harbaugh's staff. Ah, uh, yes. Did you see who the quarterback's coach is? Brian Greasy. Shane Day. Oh. Greasy has a job. I know. Shane Day was Mike Martz's hand-picked valet. See, he's putting it all together. So- Everything that's happened with the Bears over the last 30 years, Jim Harbaugh is putting together in a staff out yes. in Los Angeles. The Infinity if, Stones is what he's doing. If he successfully recreates. I, I didn't say they were good Infinity Stones. Well, if he successfully creates that coaching staff with that many, man. His quarterback's coach is Mike Martin's does he have a, quarterback. Does he have a linebacker coach? Because Lovey's not doing anything. Mm. Just do that. Have Lovey come Navarro out there and Bowman. teach your teacher. Navarro Bowman is the linebacker's coach. Oh, he's so good. Navarro Bowman was so good. So he's putting together a good staff. Him and Patrick Willis. Shout out to Patrick Willis. He made it to the Hall of Fame, too. We didn't care because, you know, he's not our guy. But uh, Watching those videos of everybody getting the knock, his was one of the most moving. Yep. I also loved Andre Johnson's reaction because it was peak Andre Johnson. Patrick Willis is another one of the guys that walked away young, right? Didn't he? Didn't he only play like eight years? And people are like, why is he retiring? And he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to slam his body and his head around all the time. That, that's what I'm saying about Christian McCaffrey. That's why I was trying to, you know, circling that name as a, as a possible short termer. Megatron has come out recently and talked about stuff. Andre Johnson, another. Yeah, Patrick, Patrick Willis, eight years. That's it. Only 112 games played, and that got him in the Hall of Fame. Because he was that dominant. I mean, he's worthy. Don't get me wrong. I mean, look at that production. And he only he only had six games in his last season, too. Wild. No, wait a second. The 773s, has, this is great. They're collecting incredibly finite stones. Yeah. And the are. 312 says Sanjay Lal turned the Bears' job down to work with Harbaugh and Tressman. There you go. And I, I mean... If you had the opportunity, that would be a good staff to be a part of, to me. It's not a diss on anyone else. And additionally, while I'm here talking about other coaching staffs, Mike Tomlin put it out there about Justin Fields. Said he was a big fan. That's, that's putting it out there. If, if I'm Justin Fields, I mean, I, Mike Tomlin's number one on my list of coaches that if I were, if I were blessed with the talent to play football – and had a choice, he would be the number one coach that I would want to play for. If I'm Justin Fields, though, I'm also looking around, and I'm like, well, hey, that division's not easy, number one. That conference is impossible. Would it be better 
to go to an NFC team. Like if, if you're talking, I mean, if you want a division, you go to the NFC South. If you're talking to Ryan Poles and Poles, Poles offers you take the South. If, if he says, Hey, do you have any preferences? I can't promise anything. Nobody wanted but to. I'd love to know if you have any preferences. If I'm Justin Fields, I'm like, maybe Atlanta is where I want to go instead of Pittsburgh, even knowing that it's Mike Tomlin. And you're probably going to the playoffs because he's Mike Tomlin and they go to the playoffs no matter who the quarterback is. That's actually a good life question. Mm -hmm. If you have to relocate for a job or you have to work somewhere else and your former boss who put you in a horrible position is perhaps leading the best possible job, do you go? I'll answer this question instead from the 802. You heard some of that? It wasn't the bad thing about Trestman was that opposing coaches and players knew exactly what plays were coming from every formation and he never adjusted away. Wasn't that even worse than his social abilities? No, no, it wasn't. But but I you're right to remember that. And that's why when you look at the Mark Trestman track record, usually when he gets to a team, there is a first year bump that then sags in the second year when people do figure out what he's doing and maybe that he's got enough support around him that they can just take the good. But I mean that entire, like the locker room was incredibly divided. It was was a mess. It was, it was lost and it needed some leadership. You had a mouthy kicker. (laughs) Seriously, you had the kicker getting in shouting matches with your wide receiver. Maybe, maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but don't you also, don't you have the Erlacher retirement forced kind of retirement in there. Then you have Lance kind of taking over as the middle and you had beef between offense and defense. You had beef between wide receiver and quarterback. You had tight ends slamming defensive back and saying if basically hadn't. Yes. You know, like, yes. And you had the wide receiver calling a 45 minute press conference to hand, unbeknownst to the team, by the way, entirely on his own, commandeered the media to hand out legal documents, unredacted legal documents, with the, with the name of a woman in there that he was accusing of wronging him. And everybody's looking around like, what the hell is going on here? And he's, he's pulling out names that were not supposed to be made public in his own personal grievances. When we talk about the phrase that permeated a lot of this season being, well, at least he didn't lose the locker room. I'm assuming this is what they're referring to. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's even more specific than that, like to the actual locker room. One of the first things that Mark Tressman did when he came in, you know, how in most places, most football locker rooms, the offense has a side and the defense has a side of the locker room. Tressman wanted the locker room to be offense, defense, offense, defense, and no one liked that idea. Like, so there's a lot. Like, like now it's all starting to, like, come back to me. Like, he had called – he had said that Brian Urlacher was no longer a three-down linebacker. That ruffled feathers. Yeah, oh, I mean, he wasn't. I mean, he ended up – he wasn't, but still – you I was don't. In, I was dealing with other chaos in Houston in 2014. You so. don't say that publicly, and then Erlacher got what he thought was a low ball offer, so he leaves. 
The guy that was his best friend of the team is now in charge of the defense. He's doing other stuff. And, and clearly the offensive guys and the defensive guys did not like each other. You had a quarterback who thought that he was the bleep. You had a wide receiver that, that wanted the quarterback, then didn't want the quarterback. It was chaos. Was this also the season? What was Dude's name? Sounds kind of fun. I'm not going to lie. Dude's name that uh, hurt himself celebrating, and they were getting destroyed. Lamar, Lamar Houston. Houston. Lamar Houston. Didn't that happen then, too? It was yeah. during the era. I don't know if it I was that, that same was season. later. No, that was that. that I think I'm that was pretty sure that I was think, a. No, that might have been a John Fox season. I that might have been John yes, Fox's maybe you're right. first season. I think it was later. Let me see. It was definitely in a lost season, and they were getting blown out against Detroit or it something. Like Twenty fourteen. It was against Detroit, and it was after a Detroit player had done the same thing. Hook him. If you remember, Stephen Tulloch, the Detroit linebacker, did the same thing, blowing out his knee while celebrating. But the Lamar Houston thing, they were down like twenty five points. Twenty fourteen against the Patriots, actually, and, uh, and it was during Tresman. Wait, okay. was Sam Hurd also that Wait, was that, was that the 50-burger Yeah, against the Patriots? Yes. The, the back-to-backs? Yes, the score at the time. 23 I, yes. Do you think that this was any part of Tressman's job interview or no? No. No? And for those asking where Jim Tomsula is, uh, he's the head coach of the Rhine Fire. Ryan, Ryan, Ryan of the European no, League he's of in football. a van yelling at you that you suck. <laughs> That was so. That's not. Please, no, that's Pat Thomas. Oh, please oh. explain that for those of us who didn't hear this morning. I sent him an email. I have everybody. So, I, we 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 have Maggie the dog right now for the next week. So I lost the uh, the the Rochambeau for the morning walk, and so it just a little after seven, like seven fifteen or so, I'm walking out my front steps, and I walk down, and I get I walk about twenty feet to the stop sign. And there's this van there. And there's these dudes in the van. It was like, and I'm like, oh, God, who are these people? Like, uh, it's like some randos. And I crossed. Is it like a white van? Ah, uh, it's gray. And I crossed the street. And, and whoever's in the passenger side leans out and goes, Bernstein, you suck. And I just kind of smiled like, all right, good morning to you, too. Oh, all right. And then I came in here, and they were on the TV, and I it was it was Pat Tomasulo. They were driving around with and a camera. And Paul and Conrad. And Paul Conrad. They do the thing with the van, and Paul drives the van around. They do that a lot. And okay. three dudes who did not yeah. look like they wanted to be dressed like Cupid crammed in the back seat. No, they definitely wanted, oh, they wanted to be. That's to be. part of their really? – their, yeah. yeah. Did they so want now, to? I, I don't know. They were just oh, kind of yeah. sitting there. Oh, no, no, no. This is like a whole thing. The, look, Channel 9 vibe is very different. They got different yeah, stuff so now, going now on. Now I know. It wasn't just some random person telling me I suck. It was a very specific person <laughs> yes. telling me that I suck. I'm just laughing at the van. Like, the visual on this is just he does, pretty funny to me. Like, Paul does this where, like, if someone is hired, they have to go do an interview with Paul in the van. Really? So, like, they just hired uh, Brett Vickery to do traffic in the morning. And so she had to, like, get in the van. That's and, fantastic. And do an interview with I think uh, Paul and LJ were in the in the van, and you know, that's like his bit. Drive you around in the van, talk to you. Hey, can you help me move this couch? I'm having some trouble with it. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, the, 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 at least there's windows in the back. Otherwise, you get a little scared. Yeah, there's some air it's kinda, it's, on there. That's the bit. Like that's the here. Uh, get in the van. Right. Get it. Like this van's a rocking. Don't come and knock. Not me. really the bit. That's I not. Live Those are two in a different van bits. Down by the river. That's three different bits. Yeah. You know what happens when you get to six bits? 
Rhine, Rhine, Rhine. A dollar. When it gets eight bits, then you can play games. Yes. Uh, should I explain how I found the verbatim Mark Trustman quote or no? Sure. Save it. Save it. We'll do it next. Unless sure. we had something else planned. I can there's, we, a, there's a thing we've been sitting on for a week that can keep waiting. We're yeah. Good. Can we still play some of this stuff? No, probably but we not. Can, but no. we can okay. talk about it and we can point people to where it is. Okay. Let's do that next on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I can't wait to get my hands on him. Justin Herbert is waiting for you, Dr. Death. Congratulations, Mark Trussman. Jim Harbaugh and you will work together on the Chargers staff. Can I uh, can I read a Valentine's DM request I got a few years ago? Sure. It's Valentine's Day still. Yes. February 14th, 7.15 p.m. Any interest in a blind date on V-Day or just a blind take a look at each other and decide what to do from there? And that, to this day, remains the creepiest thing I've I've received in my... Well, not the super creepiest, but the creepiest Valentine's He's Day thing creep. I've, <laughs> I've received. Super creep. Ew. He's super creepy. On February 18th. Hi, Layla. I'm sure you get this all the time, would you, but would you be open to meeting up for coffee? Promise I'm normal. <laughs> and I know asking through Instagram is weird. Promise I'm Sir, normal. Your normalcy negated itself when you decided to send me the creepiest Valentine message of all time. All right, when, now, so, when you when you have to say that you're normal, it's usually not, a red no. flag. Also, well, also like the the request before on Valentine's Day night was also super disturbing. Super creep. As was the fact that I looked at his profile and saw he was married. Okay, so in 2014, the way I the way I found this Trustman quote was I I of course Googled Mark Trustman. I haven't heard any of that, and it was a common search. And uh, I found this very professional CBS2 sports page. Mark Trussman is Boris and Bernstein's 2014 quote of the year winner. Mm-hmm. Big deal. Take a bow, Mark Trussman. As your bears are mired in an underachieving 5-7 and seven season, you can take solace in the fact that you've been crowned the 2014 champion of the Boris and Bernstein Show's 13th annual quote of the year competition. It was a line that only a deep thinker like Trussman could summon. I haven't heard any of that. I didn't hear all of it. I heard a lot about most of it, but what I did hear, I did not hear any of that. Trussman didn't just confuse us with perhaps the most mind-bending quote of the year. He carried the vote in a a manner rarely seen. In a field of eight nominees, and these were interesting, he garnered 53% of the vote. The other quotes were from Dan McNeil. Les Grobstein, that's okay. the Eagles quote. Mm-hmm. Tommy Lasorda. Eagles. Hawk, which I'm not playing on the air. You can't play it. You can't play that on the air. I mean, you can. It's it's on him nope. to deal with the consequences. Hawk, of it. that's it was inappropriate and not in a uh, Valentine's Day message manner, but in a talking about people's ethnicity manner. Uh, Rick Wild, the guy from technology and stuff from the truck uh, that was presented to the Royals appropriately at the World Series. James on the West Side and David Schuster. James on the West Side's quote was the one that gave us the homicidal homosexual. (laughs) Remember, he said. (laughs) Also not appropriate. Yes. I think we can play. They have the audio here. I think we can play the Dan McNeil one. Well, that was just the genesis of Ramblin' Grimace. Would you guys like to hear it? I can try to see if it will work. Well, you're just going to hold the the mic up to your speaker. Go ahead. 
I have to go to the bathroom really bad. All right, that's okay. Segment's over. That was rambling grimace to the men's room. Out of nowhere. I found this page good, to actually. be pretty informative. Play the I hawk w- one. Play the hawk one. No! Yeah, play it. Because people forget that he would say stuff like this. That's a typical Asian motion. Deception involved. You know, I asked the great Ted Williams about guys. Of course, they didn't have Asian pitches back in those days here, but they had guys with some unusual well, they, motions. They had them, but they were in Japan. Yeah. A nasty slider from down under. Yeah, I, that's a typical Asian motion. There it is. I would like to play Deception. mine. Inscrutable. It combines class winning and leading, um, you know, technology and stuff. Technology and stuff. That's the show that's coming up next here on The Score. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.